So I forgot we're recording. (laughs) 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 This is more than I usually have in screw-ups for a whole episode. Uh, So go ahead. Sorry. God dang it. How perfectly timed was that? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oregano and tomatoes. No, tomatoes. Watermelon. <laughs> Watermelon. There's a T no, in there, there. There is an R in there. Watermelon. Watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> now, every time you try to do that, I'm just going to think of your, your American impression. Oh, shit. <laughs> Ivan's high on heroin. Anyway. <laughs> and a, a, a spink. A, a spink. So that was a really discussion. Oh, my. F- <laughs> Hear ye, come one and come all to episode 49 of the Plastic Posse podcast. We are ever so delighted to have you listening to us today, and I'm overcome with joy to be joined by my incredible co-hosts. Going from west to east, Sir Grant Mabry from the Golden State of California. We have Sir Scott Gentry, and joining us a little bit later on, Doug Smith from the Beehive State of Utah. Unfortunately, tonight we are a little short, so we don't have TJ and we do not have JB joining us. So unfortunately, that just leaves myself to introduce myself from the Rose County of Lancashire in England. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing great. How are how are things in the land of Aubergine? <laughs> They're doing really well. Uh, just really busy at the minute. Just chaos. It's chaos. It's good chaos. Just, Productive just chaos. Very, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to get one project done, and then I get distracted by trying to improve an old project. It's, uh, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> How are you doing, Grant? I'm good. I'm good. Working like a you know, really working hard. But you know, I've got some paint on my Sherman, and I've got one more figure to finish, and then I can uh, call it a day. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I've got a I've I've got an extremely exciting Independence Day weekend planned. I'm going to be staining a fence. So there you go. <laughs> wow. You have all the fun in Utah. Party central. <laughs> crazy, crazy. <laughs> wow. Are you gonna do like the Tom Sawyer and put the cutoff pants on with the you know, the hat and uh, well, it is excellent to hear from uh, everyone, both of you. Now, we have a great episode <laughs> planned ahead. By the time this episode drops, uh, it'll be less than two weeks until the IPMS US National Model Show in Omaha, Nebraska, the Cornhusker State. Uh, we'll be focusing quite a bit on the uh, the Nats in this show, in this episode, so stick around for that. We also have a great discussion point that JB brought up, but we'll be leading that discussion, as well as our usual pitter-patter of grey matter about all things scale models. So enough from me. What have you guys been working on since our last episode? Uh, like I said, I've uh, uh, I got some paint 
heat finally on my Israeli Sherman. It's looking, you know, green, which is good. I've been working on some small figures from uh, a 3D company called Mezdit. Mezkit, sorry, I pronounced that wrong. He's a, a Warhammer guy, um, does some really fantastic stuff. He's got a Patreon page and you can join and every month he'll send you STL files for a figure and he shows you how to paint them. So it's been really fun. It's been really, really fun having a good time working on some bases, trying to get some cleaning up some old kits, cleaning up some new kits and getting everything ready for nationals, getting ready to see Ivan for the first time and using again, Scott and the rest of us. And just hoping Ivan brings enough chocolate because, you know, I am that, that, that chocolate guy that just has to destroy it all. Hi, what are you working on, Scott? I've been working on my M10 for the for the group build. That should be ready. I still have final weathering and and some things to do, but that's coming along really really nicely. Pretty good on that. And then last weekend, I got to go up to the Pacific Northwest and hang out with our good friend Jim Bates from a scale Canadian TV. Um, he gave me one of the new Arma Hobby Expert Series P51B and C kits and. Uh, Wow, guys, I, I'll tell you, man, I'm, I might be swayed into this 72nd scale aircraft thing. It, this kit is a gorgeous, gorgeous little model. It, it's like uh, somebody took a 48 scale kit and downsized it because, I mean, it, you know, just the the level of detail, you know, photo etch, seat belts, canopy masks, all in one 72nd scale. Just a gorgeous little kit. Ivan, I know you've been very, very busy. Um, what What have you been working on? Yes, so I've really, really been trying hard to get the A4 Skyhawk done for the Model Geeks. It's been my first aircraft for over a year or two years. It's been a while, and I'm really loving how it's coming coming along now. It got to the paint stage, and it was painted, and decals were on, and I, I hate decaling. I had a nightmare of a decaling session. It's my own fault. They were cartograph decals, and they're really nice decals, but I put Solver set on them a little bit too early, and they just absolutely crumbled. The uh, cartograph do not need a Solver set, the good as they are. Rather than just give up on the build, uh, I ripped all the uh, ruined decals off with just masking tape. I didn't detack it, just put it on, and I ripped it off like you're waxing your leg. Not that I would know. And then... <laughs> and oh, then, that's um... an ugly picture in my head right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> And, and then um, on the silhouette cutter, I just made a mask set and just painted them on. It looks so much better. Um, I don't know why I didn't think of doing that in the first place, because I've never, never been a fan of decals. So that's coming along nice now. I've matte-coated it, done, done tons of paint effects, did my oil work just before. Now I'm working on the drop tanks and landing gear. I was also improving one of my old vignettes, the ICM three-ton German cargo truck. Really love that build, but I was never really happy with the figure. It's an Alpine... Dak officer, gorgeous figure. Like Alpine figures are just incredible. But I just found because I painted it with acrylics uh, last year or the year before, and it was really blocky. So now uh, I like working with oils because I can just blend them. I don't have to worry about being quick or trying to blend acrylics. Doesn't work for me. I'm so happy with how it looks now. I've now got him on a base. I've added some things to the base. So now there's more of a story rather than just a man looking into the distance, and we don't know why he's looking at the um, a sign that I've put up. So it's it's like um, what they called road markings. Uh, that have been painted over by the Allies, so the Germans have no idea where they are. And it, it just looks so much better now. It, it's really come together. But yeah, that's that's what I've been working on. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like the Takum M114 or the King Tiger is going to make it, mainly because the amount of space in the carry boxes, is uh, it, they, they fill up incredibly quickly. So it doesn't look like they're going to make it, unfortunately. 
I want to go back to a couple of your builds. You know, the figure looks really terrific. You've done a great job with it. But the the save that you did on the uh, Skyhawk tail, that was fantastic. Like it, like you said, it kind of had me questioning why you just didn't airbrush those markings in the first place because you did such a great job pulling back from it. Yeah, and I, th- I thought it actually looked better. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I agree, Scott. That thing when you showed the pictures the first time, and you were like all heartbroken, and you turned around within 24 hours, and that thing was that was beautiful. It, it would look great. Your ICM build is great too. I mean, the way the figure looks great after you repainted it, the sign now it's got a story. The little Doug brought up the point today uh, on the chat that you had the little pieces or white drops on the rock where the guy painted over. That was fantastic. That. It does have that story now. I'm holding the map, looking at the sign. It's just great. You do really fantastic work. Yeah, listeners need to check that out on our Facebook page. How? Um, what kind of paint did you use for the uh, camouflage on the truck? Because the, the camouflage uh, lines that you did on that, they're really, really tight. Yeah, um, that was painted in AK Real Colors. So the uh, the the yellow is just a dunkle gelb yellow. And then the green is the olive green. Very highly thinned. Doing that soft edge freehand camo, I'm usually really bad at. I can either never get it to look soft enough, or it's either speckly, it's not neat, but that one it really worked on. And once all the the base coats were done, I used ammo oil brushes to accentuate everything, add shadows, highlights, and it it looks all right. Yeah, it does. It looks really good. I also like the fuel cans. There are fuel barrels in the back, the different colors and stuff like that. That pops it also, and that's very good. I can't, I can't wait for you to see it at Nats because I'm going to let you pick it up and you'll see how heavy it is. It, the truck is actually weighed down. It actually has a, a twisted chassis because it's mm-hmm. ICM really soft plastic. Right. The, none of the resin's hollowed, so it weighs an absolute ton. So it's helped flatten the uh, the, the bed of the truck, which is really cool, but it, it's terrifying if I drop that because that's going <laughs> to explode. <laughs> well, you know, it's right. You're right, though, because it would be weighed down with the barrels in the back like that, and it, it's, it does have that look to it. So it's, that's really great. Thank you. And just before we head on to the next section, we have kindly been joined by uh, Doug. And what have you been working on, sir? Uh, cleaning my house, thank you. <laughs> covered with paint right now that's not supposed to be there. I have been trying to get a couple things done for Nats. The uh, the A4 for the Model Geeks group build and a Sherman, but uh, I have no hopes for either of them. More we have on. we have faith in you. You can well, do somebody's it. Somebody's got faith. to. I sure don't. Ivan will bring some extra British chocolate over if you if you do it as a reward. How's that sound? All right. You know, first we did buy a bar of Galaxy this big today. Oh, I love you. <laughs> How this is fitting in the case. It's not the actual fitting, it's the weight. That's okay. You don't have to come. You can just send all the chocolate <laughs> and the models. <laughs> I, I seem to have become a snack mule for everyone. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's great to hear from everyone uh, and what everyone's been up to. But uh, hey, Doug, how about we hear from our sponsor? All right. The Triple P is pleased to be sponsored by tankcraft.com. Tankcraft makes some fabulous scale modeling accessories for your bench. Okay, tank makers, let's talk tracks. 3D printing is all the rage, and it seems like there's a new line of resin-printed workable tracks coming every other day. If you're looking for the real deal, take a look at TankCraft's new line of 3D-printed pro tracks. They're designing and making these track links from scratch, and they are based on real tank tracks and or factory drawings. 
These are not just reworks of previously produced plastic model parts. Once designed, they are scaled down to 135th and test fitted to kits from all the major brands. I can personally say these tracks are the highest quality and they are super detailed down to the track pinheads. Layer lines are practically invisible to the naked eye and cleanup is a breeze. So go on over to tankcraft.com right now and get yourself a set of pro tracks. They're as real as it gets. Visit tankcraft.com today. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com to see their whole range of products. Remember, Posse listeners use the code POSSE15 at checkout to get 15% off your first order. Thanks, Doug. It's time to send a shout out to the Posse Outriders. These are listeners who supported the Posse by becoming Patreon contributors. If you would like to support the Triple P and become a Plastic Posse Outrider, it's super easy. Just head on over to our Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash Plastic Posse Podcast, and you can set up a recurring donation there. You can donate any amount you would like, and this support really helps us to offset the costs of bringing you the Triple P. There are three different tiers of supports, and they start at only $1 per month. So let's start out with our top tier, our awesome deputy marshals. Uh, we have Chris Toadman Hughes. We have Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Dan Knopfel, Les Workala, B. Colt 1911, John Everett, Josh Buck, Luke Carswell, Thomas Bannock, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Joel Munson, Eric Brubaker, David Brian Bridges, who you'll hear from a little bit later in the show, Ethan Idenmill, Jared Cow, J.C. Osborne, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, Bruce the Model Noob, Jeremy Moore, and Rick Cooper. Next, we have our Posse Foreman tier. We have a previous seat. We have Enrique Perriam. We have Ian Bonner. Lee Fogel, Mr. Grizz, Rob Burnside, Martin Drayton, The Voice of Bob, Steve Schaefer, Steve Munsell, Matthew Johnston, John Vitkus, Jamie Stokes, Craig Jarbo, Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Eric DeGleish, Rick Lewis, and Eric Semmelmeyer. Lastly, but not least, we have the Posse Outriders, Lynn, Neil, Jackson, Chris, Robert, Brian, Matthew, David, and Jamie. Well done, deputies. We really appreciate all your help and support. Just a reminder, the Posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts out there. And if you would like to see the list of some of the, these podcasts, plus the social media creators, head over to modelpodcast.com and you will find links to many of them. With Nats only a couple of weeks away, there's a couple of group builds reaching the big finale. The M3 M4 group build has been an outstanding success, and I, along with everyone here, just want to say a heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you who took part, took the time, and took your passion and energy to be involved in this community project. I think it's very clear to see that uh, we have one of the best communities on the planet, and it's been really something to see everyone's work, camaraderie, community spirit throughout this build. Again, thank you all so very, very much. But we are not done yet. 
Just, I, I think this is, Ivan, this is a good time to remind everybody, JB's been going live. I don't know if he's going to go live every day, but nearly every day he receives uh, new models for the group build. And then also just to kind of generally talk about the group build. So keep an eye over on our Facebook page uh, for those live videos. Those are kind of fun. I think he's been doing a good job on those. He has. He, you can see the excitement when he receives a new a model in the post. He's like a kid at Christmas. Yeah, it, it's really great. It's to see the reaction and see the, the models come out. And I, I don't know how they're, they're coming out fantastic. I mean, very little wear, very little stuff on them. And that's, and they, they they're going to grow the great, you know, so I think he's got three or four now. I think three, um, that have made it to his house already. So that's great. And I think something that excites him a lot as well is like, and we discussed this later on, but, um, it's one thing seeing them online, but when you see them in person. Like, yeah. Whoa! Incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the whole thing too, and it's and seeing the progress people are making on the website has just been it's you know jaw dropping. It's the people are just you know they're going they're building some beautiful Shermans, just fantastic work all the way around. And I think you know I want to uh, reiterate something TJ said last time we were on is that or JB or either one that you know if you have a Sherman, bring it. We'll put it on the group table. You know, and you know it doesn't cost you anything. You know, we just want to, you know, get your stuff out there, get it seen with us. And that's, that's what we want. Any Sherman Lee grant or a variant of it, any of those. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. We'd love to love to have you a part of the group. I, man, I, as I watch those videos, I don't know about you guys, but the modeling of course is fantastic, but I've been like kind of fascinated by the engineering cunning of our, of our modelers, the way that they design the packaging to get the models to JB in one piece. It's been almost as much fun, you know, seeing the innovation there as it has the actual model kits. And it's, it's not just the fact that the people, the guys are sending them, it's the pain for them to be sent out of their own pocket. It's like, Sending stuff, especially it's going to be, this stuff's going to be insured, isn't cheap. So again, we just, we appreciate greatly the cost and the time and the effort that everyone's gone to just to get these little plastic models to the biggest show in the States. It's, it's incredible. Right. So they, so they paid for the kit. They took the time to build it. The, uh, who knows how many hours. In a lot of cases, they've made these beautiful bases and then they send them here and they don't ever expect to see them again. They don't want them back. I mean, it's there's so much going on here and so much generosity with these guys. I just think it's stunning. It's just amazing what, what they're willing to do. You know, we were all very inspired at Vegas by uh, the AMP SoCal display. It was so awesome. And so hopefully, you know, maybe between us and the geeks, A4 uh, group builds, we can inspire, you know, some local clubs or some people to do it because it, it really does kind of bring everybody together in sort of an esprit de corps, you know, like we've been saying, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to have everybody kind of work on a project collectively like this. Oh, definitely. It's, it, it, you know, and you're right, Scott, the engineering to get these box, these boxes out here. And then JB whips out that big knife and I'm like, Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's really great. And you guys have been all the, the, the people that are, you know, partaking in this, you're all fantastic. I just, you know, I hope you, we really, really do appreciate that, that, and it's just been fantastic well we plan on uh recognizing people that have participated in this peter fidlotsky he he designed early on a logo for the group i can <laughs> confirm i can confirm that we've uh, kind of taken that and uh, done some fun stuff with that and uh, we've got some other you know posse swag and uh, whether you're at the show or not 
we'll make sure to get that out to you. But we we just, again, just want to thank everybody for the participation. And it's just been amazingly inspiring to see people's work, you know, see people from Matt McDougal, from his 3D printing, almost creating his own kit to all of the different paint schemes and, you know, just everything down the line. It's been awesome. At first you think, oh yeah, Sherman Group Build, how exciting is that? You know, 14 green olive trap green Shermans, <laughs> but it's really been anything but that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you, you see the, I, I swear people are digging into their archives and finding the most bizarre one-off or whatever Sherman that they can find and recreating it fantastically. And some of them even making magazines now. So, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big thing too. So congratulations on that. I just want to also give a shout out to Joel Middleton, who's making the, the crab version. And, um, that's just amazing. He was going to send it to me to bring over, but because of its length, it won't fit in my box. So I think he's having that shipped directly to the conference center. Hopefully get that gets there all safe and we can't wait to see it because the crab just looks menacing and cool. Unfortunately, I think there's one variant we're not going to see. And I think it's, is it the Calliope? Um, I think Calli- it's Calliope. There we are. That's my yep. terrible memory and crap accent coming through. I, I, I love that version. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, I just don't think just not a kit of it or not a good one, that is. Yeah, for those of you out there, if you're not familiar with the Calliope, it's basically a Sherman with a multi tiered eggplant launcher on the top of the turret. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, the Shermans could camp and, you know, uh, park the tank and then just launch like dozens and dozens of these uh, eggplants at an enemy at any one time. <laughs> and f- f- for all you English speakers out there, an eggplant. Is an aubergine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on the uh, the subject of of Nats and um, the group build, I do also just want to give a mention to volunteering at the Nats. Obviously, the, this show relies quite a lot on volunteers, and it survives through the generosity of people giving up their time to help. If that's uh, helping set up, or that's helping bring in in the crowds and bringing visitors. Any help that the show can receive is greatly appreciated. So if you could, I know the email was sent out this week for everyone who's pre-registered asking if they could volunteer some of their time, and it would be really, really great if you could. Information can be found on the IPMS USA 2022 website regarding any information regarding the matter. So if you could volunteer uh, even just a couple of hours out of your time for the for the weekend, it would be really appreciated. Appreciate that, Ivan. And then also the IPMS 2022 Nationals uh, Facebook page. It w- will also be a great place that you can do. And if that doesn't work, you can get a hold of one of us and we'll put you in contact with Scott Hackney, who's the show chair in Omaha. But any help will be appreciated. And I also want to challenge you three guys and also um, any of our listeners. If you've got some experience and you can help with the judging at IPMS Nationals, I know they would appreciate that. And if you've never judged, they do have a judge training program where they can put you with an experienced team. You can learn a lot and uh, make some new friendships. It's, it's It's really a great experience. So maybe consider that if you are going to Omaha. Also, our good friends over at the Mama Geeks are having their A4 Skyhawk build coming to a close and would be amazing to see a great display of A4s at Nats. So if you have one of those on the go, please try and get it done in time. How's the progress going with you guys? Very well. Um, I'd like to get it finished tomorrow because I'm not doing any more weathering on it. I've, I've flat coated it now. Looks really cool. Just need to finish up the landing gear and drop tanks and it should be done. Just need to uh, also paint in the... Uh, the lights, but they, sh- they should be done. 
Mine, uh, mine is coming along. I am working on the uh, drop tanks now. I did find a pretty, pretty major seam. I don't know how I missed it or if it maybe just split while I was working on it right on the nose, right on the top of the nose. So I filled that in. I'm going to have to repaint that section, but that's okay. You know, I don't mind. I don't mind that too much. I uh, know JB's. I've seen pictures of his on the web. Uh, it's looking, you know, he's got his little Tom, his uh, Top Gun uh, Viper getting ready to get that done. And so, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see that there at Naz also. It's time for our feature interview. And uh, guys, this uh, this interview is something I owe David uh, Brian Bridges, a.k.a. DB Scale Model Studio. Owe him a little bit of an apology. We've uh, had this uh, interview done for quite a while, but, you know, just juggling everything. It hasn't happened. But JB and I sat down a while back with him, and uh, he's an excellent modeler, huge supporter of our podcast, an all-around great guy. He's actually been over at World Model Expo uh, sending photos uh, to the posse group so um, if you guys haven't seen those make sure and check those out anyway in this interview david shares some great insights into his own modeling how the hobby has helped him and his thoughts on ipms i hope you guys enjoy this interview because jb and i certainly did when we sat down with david so here's the interview Welcome to another Plastic Posse Podcast interview brought to you by Sean's Custom Model Tools. We always talk about the amazing super sanding blocks, but did you know that Sean also makes 3D printed sprue holders, tape dispensers, glue holders, and many other great tools for your bench? Check out Sean's awesome new website over at seanscustommodeltools.com. Well, today we have a treat for you. You know him on Facebook and also Instagram as DB Scale Model Studio. We are very pleased to welcome David Bridges to the Plastic Posse. Welcome, David. Hey, nice nice to be here with you guys. Pleasure to be here. David, we are super stoked to talk and you know, I immediately want to start off with where do you live right now? Uh, I am in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. That's, that's my hometown. I uh, lived here until I got through college and then moved away for 14 years and came back five years ago. Nice. So I asked this listeners because I spent some time in Daytona going to school and we both went to the same school, Embry-Riddle. Yeah. And when did you graduate? Uh, 2001. Okay. So I just missed you by like three years. Crazy small world. Oh, yeah. Now, you, the, did you go to the Hobbytown USA in Oh, yeah. I, I worked at Hobbytown for four and a half years from 98 to the end, right at the very end of 2002. Yeah. Nice, nice. I remember that was a good escape from campus when the tests were bogging you down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we, again, I think we just missed each other there too. So, in addition to the Hobby Town, there was another small shop in Daytona proper, I guess you could say. This is a, probably just south of Daytona and south okay. Daytona, ironically called it Ace Hobbies. And that was uh, the one I went to as a kid all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now it was, it was like a, it was in like a small strip plaza or almost like a, maybe not even a strip plaza, just a building. I just remember it kind of being a little dark. Yeah. It, it was little, old school. It was a classic copy shop, man. Yeah. <laughs> little dingy. Is that where you started building models or got the, uh, got the bug? Yeah. That's a Ace Hobbies. Yeah. So a guy named Lou Ravegno owned it. It was mostly uh, RC planes uh, for the most yep. part. That was his big thing, but he had a, a decent model aisle, a lot of model aircraft, which is what I was really all about as a kid. And I just ride my bike down there from the uh, parents' house and get whatever I felt like I could carry back on the handlebars of my bike and try to get them home without destroying the boxes. And uh, yeah, Ace Hobbies for many years was, uh, that was my joint. That's where I spent a lot of my time. 
Nice. So outside of hobby shops, you know, I think Florida has a pretty good IPMS base. There's the guys up in Jacks, Jacksonville. Have you gone to JaxCon? Yeah, I've been to JaxCon a couple times. Yeah, it's a really good show. Uh, I think uh, it used to be a one-day show, but I think now they're doing a two-day show, I believe. And uh, there's IPMS Orlando. I went to their show back in uh, um, October, I believe it was. That was I, okay. That was the first one I went to after COVID, and it was the first one I went to before COVID. So it was nice to go back to that again. They do a great show. They kind of do their own version of the open system, kind of, yeah. uh, where it's just you competing as yourself, which I really like. There's also a club, uh, I think IPMS Space Coast, uh, down yep. in the Cocoa area. I think uh, the Pelican Scale Models are still around over on the uh, West Coast. And uh, there may be one or two clubs down in Miami, but I don't get down that far usually. What's it's Model Palooza, right? Is that one of the shows? Yeah, that's the one in Orlando. Yeah, it's the one I okay. listened to. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that's really good. I've never had the opportunity to go to it. It is. I think this past time, I think they had about 500 uh, models oh, on the wow. table, and uh, they had a really cool display of some like studio scale Star Wars stuff. They had this giant Millennium Falcon, and this AT-AT must have been maybe four feet tall, this huge oh, thing, nice. and some really cool stuff uh, that was all being built commercially for people, but they were advertising kind of there, and they had some demos and stuff. Oh, uh, cool. Really good show, a lot of good vendors. Uh, so if anybody's ever in the Orlando area, late part of the year, I don't know if it's yearly, but I, I think it is, but they do a really good show. I definitely highly rec- recommend uh, Model Palooza for sure. So for the Space Coast show, it was held, was it held close to like the, the Tycho Air Museum or Tico? Back when I used to go there, that was the first, I'd say about was the second IPMS show I ever went to was the uh, Space Coast guys. And I went that one every year and it used to be in the old Elks Lodge, I think, not yes. far off of 95. Yes. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because I went down and visited Riddle trying to figure out what I want to do with my life in high mm. school. And my dad conveniently timed it when the Space Coast <laughs> show was happening. So <laughs> Man, like your dad. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> was Thanks, he, Dad. <laughs> yeah. He, he, you know, yeah, always had the priorities straight. So we flew down and, you know, took a tour of campus. And then I remember that Elks Lodge. And we went there and it was a really nice show. And then we went over to the Warbird Museum, which was nearby, spent some time at NASA. So, you know, it's it's a uh, Florida's got a good a good community, I think, for, yeah, for shows, bad. it seems. Uh, Daytona's a little weird. Uh, at least now, there's not much in the way of hobby shops anymore. Ace Hobbies has closed down, unfortunately, yeah. years ago. Hobbytown moved to uh, Sanford, and so there's okay. really only one little shop here locally, and they're mostly RC. And they're kind of a uh, when Ace Hobbies closed, he bought out all the remaining stock and opened up his own thing. And now it's just okay. much, I was there the other day to pick up some super glue, and they're almost solely RC now. So pretty much, as Sprue Brothers is getting all my money these days for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Whose money aren't they getting? Uh, Gordon I gets mean, all of our money, I think. Good so. lord, Gordon! Jeez, <laughs> yeah. oh man. You know, I want to meet your kids one day. I feel like we funded their education in a good way. So, I mean, he's got, he's, he's fantastic. Going back to, you know, the Daytona Beach area, you know, outside of modeling and, you know, model shows, hobby shops, I I think it also has a very rich aviation community. I mean, you're right next to the Collins Foundation where they restore those aircraft every year, right? For annual maintenance? Yeah. And uh, actually, it's a company called American Aero. uh, Okay. Smyrna Airport has a facility there and they're about five minutes down the road from my house. You can walk in, they're all really cool, and you just walk in and just wander around. And I got to watch a P-38 fly for the first time after they brought it out of Resto at an F-6F Hellcat that was going through restoration. That was cool to watch them working on the landing gear one day. Uh, another time, they had a Collins B-24 there, and the yep. guy was doing a... There's some army helicopters there also getting some maintenance done, and the guy was giving them a guided tour of how to work the ball turret on a B-24. Nice. And he's like, oh, just go wander through the plane if you want. And I'm like, 
All right. Sure. Well, you're going to tell me twice. <laughs> <laughs> I was crawling around the plane, getting pictures of everything. But yeah, it's uh, between that and Embry-Riddle and just uh, just Florida in general just has so much aviation. For me, you know, with aviation being my first love, it was definitely uh, not hard to get into airplanes uh, in this area. And I still love flying with buddies of mine and hanging out at American Arrow and just seeing what's going on down there. Dude, American Arrow is great. I, I had the opportunity. They they had the open house. I, they might mm-hmm. still yeah. do it uh, do. when I was in school. And man, I went over there. And like you said, it's I just show up. They're like, hey, open the door. Come on in. Take a look at our wares. And it's like there's a P-51 under restoration. They had a beautiful Corsair. I mean, I think it was mm-hmm. Korean yeah. War one, dark, yeah. darker blue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. The B-24 was undergoing annual maintenance. They had the 25 there. So it, it was like a playground for adults. And like you said, the staff was super friendly. So listeners, if you're ever in the Florida Atlantic coast area, you know, Daytona beach, Jacksonville, even it's worth the drive down to see it. And the cool part is you never know what they're going to have. I, I went in there yeah. one time and they had a, a scud launcher, like the yeah. big, like giant eight wheel thing with a mm-hmm. scud on it. I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, another time they had an old, uh, I think it was a, a T62 that they were converting into a tiger tank. For oh, very like cool. Kind of saving Private Ryan yes. style with a bigger chassis. There were a guy was welding up the turret and they had the superstructure already taken off the, the hull and everything. It was kind of cool to see that getting taken apart and worked on to become a movie style tiger tank. So it's always really cool stuff going on there, which really fuels the juices for, you know, thinking about your own projects and stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's really cool. So one other thing in Florida and I got to send, I'll send out the information to you. It, it might be close to you. There's a guy down there. I, I think he goes by rabbi and he owns... Yeah, a crap also, ton of armor. Yeah, that's a that's a group called World War Two Armor. Uh, okay, websites World War Two Armor dot org. But yeah, he's an actual honest to god rabbi, and uh, yeah. I guess he has money too. He has his own collection. He's got, he actually has one of the tigers from Saving Private Ryan. Yep. uh, Based on the T-34. He's got a, gosh, several Shermans and I think an M7, an M10, an M36. Uh, I think they're good. I think they just got a Hellcat. They've got all kinds of stuff, but that's also about 10 minutes down the road for me. Oh, geez. I didn't know it was that close. Yeah. I've got, there's apparently there's a gun range down there too. And some buddies of mine from work will go down there and they'll be at the range. The next thing they hear somebody else shooting off stuff that's much larger (laughs) than nine millimeter or something. I follow that. Their, so I've seen some of their vehicles because they come up to D-Day, Ohio every year on Lake Erie. They do this massive reenactment and they bring up probably three or four of their vehicles. But they also have a really nice Facebook page and we'll post it on our page to share to our listeners. But what's really neat, it seems that you can essentially be a part of that reenactment community. They go out and do maneuvers and train on you know how to be a tanker. So it, it seems like they really bring a 100% level of authenticity when, when operating those vehicles as well. I looked at their website and uh, it seems like uh, they, they really stick to, you know, time period, yep. accurate, you know, regulations for haircuts and shaving yep. and uniform. And uh, I've thought about maybe once I retire in about seven years of maybe picking that up as an additional hobby because uh, I'll have some time on my hands. So why not go play with tanks for a while? Oh yeah. Weekend out in, out in yeah. the, uh, you know, sand pits of Florida driving around in a Sherman. Sounds good yeah, to me. I do it. Florida is really a great place. Other than Disney and beaches, there's also a lot of military stuff down there. There's another museum, and I I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but it was it was I feel like it's a firearm museum, and they bought a big collection from Hubbard, Ohio, and it's down there now. I think that's someone either near 
Coco or Melbourne or something, but I've okay. heard of that too. But yeah, there is a yeah. big, and I haven't been able to find the website for it, but there's, there yeah. is, I've, I've heard of that and it's down there too. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, even if you go out to the sticks, you go out to Camp Blanding. Oh, I've been to Camp Blanding. They yep. have a really good museum there. You wouldn't expect it because it's really just a National Guard post, but they have yep. a pretty nice museum with some stuff captured during the Gulf War yep. and a few other older pieces and a nice little small indoor museum. But it's just, you know, middle of the nowhere and you just run across some T-55 sitting outside a little building and, oh, that's cool. So. Man, it's funny you mentioned Camp Landing. I went there, I, I think it was spring break during junior year. And I'm like, you know what? I like tanks. I literally, I think I Googled museums in Florida and that one popped up. So on a Saturday, I drove by myself out to the middle of nowhere, Florida. I don't think the museum was open inside, but outside, I mean, there's a M4A3E8, there's the stuff from the Gulf War, there's a C-47. And it's just like me and these rusty hulks. So I spent the day climbing around them. Uh, but it's really funny you mentioned Camp Landing. That that brings me back. I, I'm sorry, listeners. We've talked a lot about Florida. Maybe we'll get back on track and go towards uh, you know scale modeling and specifically your scale modeling, David. And you know I'll, I'll pass the torch back to Scott to uh, kick off some more questions. Yeah, thanks, John. For those of you out there that might not be familiar with DB Scale Model Studio, he uh, he has almost 8,000 followers on Facebook, and he's also on Instagram. So, David, uh, let's start out with a little bit about you and then go on to your channel. Tell us about how you got started in the hobby. Growing up, I always liked to build stuff, and I think that was probably just in the family. Uh, Dad was always really into woodworking, uh, and as a kid, he had a wood shop out back of our house in South Daytona, and he would build clocks and furniture, but he also, my dad also liked military history and airplanes too, so he would always build me these uh, airplanes out of wood that he would scratch build, and they were pretty simple, but I loved them. Gosh, I probably had 200 of them by the time he was done making them once I got older. You know, I had Legos and stuff, of course, as a kid, so I always loved building. I was trying to think of what the first model I ever did. I can't remember the first one, but the one I really remember is in fourth grade, I had chicken pox and I was stuck at home, and dad brought home a, a 32 Ford Roadster kit. And I remember putting that one together. Like, man, this is really cool. It was probably the most complicated kit I'd built at that point. And shortly after that, I kind of went straight into aircraft because I always loved airplanes. I was always building World War II stuff and riding my bike down the Ace Hobbies and getting whatever World War II plane I could find. And it stuck like that for a while. And maybe around ninth grade, I figured out airbrushes. I forgot the old cheap testers external mix airbrush at Walmart for like 20 bucks with a little small can of CO2. And that really opened up a whole nother world. One day for Christmas break, I think it was my junior year of high school, 95. I'm watching Return of the Jedi on TV and I'm reading this book about World War II tanks. And all of a sudden the question pops up in my head. I'm like, I wonder if they make tank models because I had never thought about it. I would go to Ace Hobbies and I would go straight to the airplanes. That's all I cared about. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the Oldsmobile tomorrow and drive over there and, and see what they got. And sure enough, they had about a dozen or so armor kits. I was like, oh man, wow, I can't believe it. You know, this is great. And I bought an old Nichimo 35th scale Panther G, which is about as ancient a tank model as you can find. <laughs> and built it in a day and painted it same day. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done ever hobby wise. And I was like, I, I got to get more. And after that, it's been no turning back. I almost exclusively to do armor, except uh, well, I still like to do aircraft from time to time. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got into armor. And just uh, shortly after that, I found Shep Payne's books and Verlinden books and things like that. And that really got my head thinking of things that I'd never even considered for years and years of building aircraft is washes and dry brushing. And it's all been financially downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we hear you there. 
those uh, old testers airbrushes with the uh, cans you shake up. I'm not sure if those drove more people screaming from the hobby or uh, brought people into the hobby. I would take <laughs> mine. It, it would leak, so I would wrap a paper towel around the, the cup at the bottom <laughs> so my hand wouldn't get covered in paint. They were they were not really a quality machine. It's definitely not Iwata, but, <laughs> but it got me yeah. started, and I definitely – it was – God, I remember being out on the, the carport of my parents' house with that old external mix airbrush dripping paint everywhere and just really just enjoying the heck out of it. Yeah, I'd be out in the garage with a bowl of scalding hot water to try and keep that can yeah. actually <laughs> pushing <laughs> some air and screaming and swearing at it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, when did you initially uh, decide you wanted to start creating content? So, yeah, what what kind of prompted you to make your channel? You know, for years and years, I remember being in high school, and that was right when uh, the internet was first really getting big. And I remember finding track link and missing links and seeing all these kits online. I was like, man, that's it was really cool to see so many people from far, so all these places throughout the world doing these really great kits. And that was neat, but it was almost kind of like a if you weren't quite good enough or if you weren't within a certain level that you really couldn't get your stuff out there and be published. And then Facebook came along. And for you know, a long time, that was just, you know, just people that I knew. And I started discovering, wow, there's modelers like making pages just for models. That's really cool. And then I was like, well, why not me? That's It's a great way to share your hobby with people and from all over the world. And it's really been a, a blessing just people send me messages or I meet other people like you guys through it. And uh, it's just a great way to share my hobby with other like-minded people. And to me, it's been probably the easiest way to do that with so many people from all over the world with the same interest. It's a, it's really amazing. We talk about social media on the podcast all the time and, you know, there's obviously warts to it, but you know, that ability to collaborate with everybody around the world and to collaborate with, you know, people that we would have never, ever met before. It's just not the same experience as looking in the back of a fine scale model or magazine is, you know, just a great chance to really expand your social circle yeah. and find people that inspire you and you know and there's everybody's on a different level in their hobby and their journey you know and it's really nice for somebody mm-hmm. to be able to reach out to you know night shift or adam wilder mm-hmm. or mike rinaldi and say hey man what do you think about this or i'm struggling with that because i remember early on somehow i found shepherd Payne's aol instant messenger handle and i was actually able to ask him a question <laughs> once years and years ago when he helped me out with figuring out like how to do pen washes and stuff and i always remember that I was like, that's really cool that this guy who's awesome. world renowned would reach out and do that yeah. but everybody's on a different level. So if I'm certainly definitely not Mike Rinaldi or anybody, but maybe I'm a little bit farther on than somebody else. And if they want to ask me a question, uh, that's that's the best thing I can do with my hobby is just to be able to say, hey, here's what's worked for me. Why don't you try this or that? And I get a lot of questions from people about just, you know, what do I do with this? Or they make a kit of that. And if I can help them in any way, I feel like that's just one small way to kind of give back to the hobby and, you know, help somebody else grow and learn and really enjoy what they do. Man, that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've talked a little bit about obviously Shep had a huge impact on you. Uh, What other social media creators inspire you? You know, definitely. uh, It's funny. I don't, you know, it's, I know on certain podcasts, they ring a bell every time you mention his name, but I mean, Uncle Night Shift's got to be one. (laughs) I mean, uh, just the way he breaks things down so simply. And uh, I recently did my first diorama I've ever completed because I saw him do one. I was like, you know what, mate, he is breaking that down to make it look so easy and even though my efforts aren't nearly as accomplished as his look i was like well i'm really pleased and it was just because of watching his videos and stuff and that's that's really a talent just not only be able to do it that well but to come able to communicate that efficiently and that well to, where somebody can just try to replicate it and it was a ton of fun doing that but uh obviously mike rinaldi uh adam wilder i really 
Adam Wilder's style is just so almost bold, almost impressionist. It's really mm-hmm. wonderful to yeah. look through that. And I'm looking through his book now. I finally got to hold a copy of his book, which is great. Nice. And, but there's the neat part about social media is there's so many people out there, just so many pages are so this wildly talented. Uh, it's just not even, you know, they're not making books. They're not, you know, sponsored by anybody, or, but they're just, just uh, unbelievably talented. There's a guy named the Art of Panzer. Yep. Uh, Sung Young Jang, I think is one guy's name. Uh, but there's so many guys out there to see so much cool stuff. And I'm always, I have a little folder on my phone and I see a picture or something early strikes me. It's like my inspiration folder and I'll save something. It's like, man, I, I want to know how to do, how did that guy do that? That's so cool. I'm going to save that picture. I'm going to play around with that. See if I can't do that on the next model. But it's just a, there's got to be hundreds and hundreds of people out there. Just to me are just really amazing. And uh, it'd be impossible for everybody, I guess, to get, credit for how good they are you know it's just, it's just impossible but uh, yeah. it's just a never-ending there's always somebody new and uh, that to me is just amazing uh, to see all that coming together through these platforms well i would add uh db scale model studio i mean uh, i'm just gonna call out that t34 you did earlier this year um on that beautiful base and you know i noticed there was a lot of buzz around that and you were helping a lot of people with uh questions on that but you know you're you're inspiring a lot of people as well well, thank you. Yeah, it's if I can do anything to help people enjoy the hobby, absolutely. But that T thirty four was a lot of fun. That base was a that was hard to find. That base <laughs> that was a not as easy as I thought it would have been to find a simple wooden base, but just the right size. I wanted something to be kind of evocative of those memorials you see in, in Russia with the old World War two tanks up on a plinth. And uh, yeah. I just kind of got the idea. I was like, you know, and then people really responded to it, which was really cool. Well, to get you know, go back to Martin and his channel. You know, lately. He's been focusing on, you know, bases and structures and, you know, kind of everything in addition to the model. And um, your presentation on that T-34 was really, really top notch. I mean, the 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 kind of the adding a base or, or the way that you present a model, I think that's an area that is going to get a lot more attention in the future. And uh, you really hit it out of the park on that project. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I, I want to, one of the other projects that I really enjoyed, and I'm happy that you changed your mind about the tarp on the Yog Tiger. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, again, the, the benefit of having all these people coming together. I, I Porsche Yog Tiger, I, I wanted to do that for a long time. And I'd actually, second time I'd built that kit years ago, it ended up not going so well. And I was telling Scott uh, before when we were talking that, uh, Either I finish it or it ends up in the trash can. I don't really have a shelf of doom because uh, mm-hmm. I just kind of get frustrated. I was like, you know, it's time to move past the frustration. So I don't have too many things sitting around that don't get finished. But uh, mm-hmm. that was when I gotten so far along and I had this idea and it was a good idea. And I just totally screwed it up. <laughs> and my idea to camouflage it was to put in this, this tarp over. I was like, you know, I've never made a, uh, a tarp, uh, but I've seen these videos. I'm going to give it a shot. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I was like, put it out there for some critique and, and jb's like well eh, it just looks a little out of place and other people are like yeah he's kind of right and i'm like well i don't know how to fix this he's like dude it's easy and he was right it was easy <laughs> and his solution absolutely worked a treat and i was very very glad i listened because uh yeah that tarp uh, without any context to it would not have made really any sense so points for jb Oh, well, it turned out really great. You know, the only tarp I've ever seen like that, there's a L70A abandoned in like a courtyard and they had a very large tarp like that over the barrel. I recently made a post on my uh, Facebook page. Uh, There's definitely been a lot of people on the way that I wouldn't expect people to necessarily know, even though they're great modelers and kind of 
notable in their own right. One for me, very, very early on, was a guy named Joe Morgan. Back in the 80s and 90s, and maybe even into the early 2000s, worked for Kalmbach. He did a lot of articles for FineScale, and Kalmbach Publishing, who owns FineScale, used to put out a lot of modeling books and how-tos. And uh, just randomly, I was in a Air Force JROTC in high school, and we had a bookcase, and there was this magazine there with the cover ripped off. I just picked it up and started looking through it as all scale models. And I didn't, I was just starting to kind of get into the bigger world of scale modeling. I didn't know there were scale modeling magazines even. I had never heard of Fine Scale Modeler. And I opened this magazine. It's like, oh, wow, this is unbelievable. I can't, all these great models in this. And they're all World War II. And it turned out it was an old, like a one-off special edition that Kalmbach had done of like World War II models and great scale modeling kind of thing. This one article about how uh, this guy named Joe Morgan converted the old Tamiya M3 Stewart into an M2A4 on Guadalcanal. And I just remember looking at it, I was like, man, this is so amazing. And I cut out the title picture of it and I taped it up to my bedroom wall at my parents' house. And I was like, I want to be this good. I want to be this good at making models. I still have that picture taped up or actually on my, my cork board in my hobby office now. Years go by and you know, I started reading you know, all the Shep and Verlinde and stuff. And I went to work at Hobby Town. And one day I walked in and they had that old display case above where the models were at. And I walk in and there's Joe Morgan's models in the display case. And I about had a heart attack. It's like, what? And I went and asked one of the guys, are those Joe Morgan's models? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, how did they get there? And he's like, well, he lives around here. I was like, get out of here. You, you got to be kidding me. And it turns out he worked for Hawaiian Tropic here locally. And he's like, well, next time Joe comes in, if you're here, I'll, I'll introduce you. And sure enough, a few weeks later, I got my introduction and he was just the nicest guy. Never got tired of me asking questions. He let me go in the case and pick up his models, which even with my own stuff, I'd be like, oh, please don't touch. But he didn't care. He's just the nicest guy. And always bringing these cool, you know, back then Cromwell models as maybe a unsophisticated as they might seem now were cutting edge resin productions back then. He'd bring those in for me to look at. And that's how I found out about Tony Greenland's book was he brought in a copy and just, just a wonderful guy and somebody I really aspired to be as good as, as far as modeling skills and to actually get to meet him and him be so open with everything was really great. Another early influence about the same time, the very first model contest I went to was actually at Ember Riddle. Uh, where, where JB and I went to school and it was my senior year of high school and they were having a contest in the old student union. There was like a model group at the school. So I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to go to this. So me and a couple of buddies of mine from RTC went and I brought a few models and there was a guy there and he had these just amazing BF 109s and FW 190s. These just gorgeous aircraft models. And I'm like, man, I, I didn't know you could make anything that looked that amazing. And I was like, hey, man, are these yours? And he's like, yeah. And he introduced himself, and his name was Lynn Ritker. Oh, and yeah. Lynn's one of the experts in the BF-109 out there. He's written a couple of books on it. Amazing guy, absolute just keen wit, funny guy. And I got to know him for many years. He, he would come in the hobby shop, and after I moved, I'd run across him you know, at model contests here and there. And then Facebook came around, so I still keep touch with him. But he was just, again, just such an open guy. There weren't, there weren't any secrets to how he did stuff. And he was just a wonderful guy and just a really a, a fountain of knowledge. I still go to him from times like, man, I need to know something about some Luftwaffe subject, man. I, can you help me out? Oh, yeah, it's this, this, and this. And just those people that were really just 
so open and honest and no secrets because I've run across other people over the years that could easily have been that encouraging and all they want to try and do is kind of tear people down. And, you know, you really have that kind of choice. Do you want to help or do you want to just make more of yourself? And uh, both Joe and Lynn were both guys like, you know, I'd rather boost other people up than make myself look big. So those guys are, you know, they, you won't hear their names very often, but they're both guys who meant a whole lot to me and my own growth in the hobby. Yeah, Lynn still goes to the Nats, I'm pretty sure. I've seen his work there from time to time. He's gotten really big lately into uh, storytelling with modeling. You know, he's big on Luftwaffe subjects, but he's about as far away from anything to do with far-right politics as you can possibly have. And he likes to tell the stories of those aircraft and what really went in behind him in the production and then really a lot of the human sadness that, you know, sometimes we forget about. But it's an important part of the story. And for me, it's kind of, again, talking about inspiration. I love building models that have something to do with the people behind them. You know, that, that Yachtiger that I built was inspired by reading through uh, books and histories of the uh, 653rd Heavy Anti-Tank Battalion and reading about this guy who served through Kursk and served on elephants and then moved on to the Yachtiger later. And then he was just horribly wounded there. And then he came back again right before the war ended and he ended up surviving for the whole war. And to me, that was really amazing. Uh, the T-34 was Alexandra Samosenko, who was uh, the only woman to rise to that rank in the Soviet army. She was a brigade commander at the end of the war before, unfortunately, she was killed by one of her own vehicles. But the whole story behind her and how she interacted with some other people throughout her career was just really, really fascinating. So to see that human side and kind of, again, that's something I've kind of been a little bit inspired by Lynn, is something that definitely informs my hobby uh, and what I want, the subjects I choose not just personal interest, but, you know, is a really cool human story behind it? Because the machines are neat, but the people behind them to me are, are more interesting. You know, I'll go back to that Tiger story, that book, and I would recommend our listeners, I believe you read it in the combat history of Sverpanzer Jager yes. on Tylung 653, yep. and they have a book 654 as well. Those personal stories in those books are absolutely astounding. I mean, to hear what those tank crews went through. I mean, I, I think one of the snippets from 653, the guy talked about how they just sat in the elephant and waited for the Russians to pass and then got out at night and, you know, got back across the line. It's little things like that are just unbelievable. And then the pictures as well in there from personal collections and those combat history books are straight unbelievable, extremely personal as well, which which I'm glad you you bring that up. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, we talk about the people we meet, the personal stories of models. You know, one of the ways outside of social media to engage with modelers is model shows. We've talked a little bit about the regional aspect of Florida and the local shows that you go to there. Do you attend the nationals as well? Uh, I have been to the IPMS Nats five times. I am no longer an IPMS member. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I've let my, I actually just forgot to renew and it just has never gotten renewed. I do have some issues with IPMS. Uh, I, that being said, I think it's good that we have an organization, but it's it's got to it's got to start changing. It's got to start growing because otherwise, I unfortunately think that it's going to die on the vine, so to speak. In my mind, I, I think there's space out there for an all new organization. I think that would be a pity. I would rather see IPMS grow into something newer and better. 
I don't know if that will happen. Maybe I'm just a pessimist. I would like to see change. I like guys like you that are trying to get involved, trying to make that change. Now, for many years, I mean, I cut my teeth competitively going to IPMS shows, and I definitely learned a lot about being, I guess you could say, a conscientious builder and making sure everything's you know square and level and put together well. But uh, just organizationally, I think it's become a little staid and a, a little stagnant, and they've, they've really got to grow. And you could probably say that about most nearly any modeling club out there right now, even AMPS, uh, even though I am an AMPS member, and I definitely enjoy personally going to the big AMPS show more than the Nats. It's a little bit more uh, focused for me, but I, you know, I like all the other subjects too, so the Nats are cool. It's just the competition method that you get at AMPS to me is more uh, engaging, and there's more room for personal growth through that open system or something like an open system for me. Is that because the AMP system sort of is like playing golf where the modeler is competing against himself versus competing against other modelers or what what, what aspect do you like? Yeah, you know, I, I've judged at all levels, both AMPs and uh, IPMS. I've judged at least two or three of the IPS NATs that I've been to, and I've judged at a ton of local and regional shows over the years, and I am a, an AMPs certified judge and table captain and all that good stuff. And for me, yeah, it's definitely not only is the judging methodology I feel for the AMP shows more productive for the modeler because you get some of that feedback and either it's something new you didn't know or a lot of times like for me I find that I'll think you know I'm kind of wondering about this thing on this model I'm going to enter it in this AMPS international show and see the feedback I get yeah you know you know they're kind of verifying what I was already kind of thinking you know so you get that feedback which is great but also as performing the job function it's really fun to sit there for two hours with three other guys and get down and and dirty and look at these models up close and really get to talk about them because it's really inspirational sometimes too. Sometimes it's kind of tough because you get somebody who's clearly, you know, they need to be brought up along and you have the opportunity to help them along, which again is really great. But also you get to spend time with other modelers and really get to know people and just really enjoy the time all looking at the models, but just talking models with these guys. And to me, that's a little bit more enjoyable than the kind of sometimes almost intense kind of feeling of judging like an IPMS Nats where there's definitely pressure for time and you've got to winnow down these big categories and everything. Whereas at AMPS, you're just looking at one model at a time and you're just thinking about that one model. Uh, So for me, it's definitely enjoyable, not only from the aspect of me personally, but what I can give back. You know, let's let's stick on the topic of IPMS. As a society, you know, where do you think there are opportunities for the society to grow and evolve and, and attract and, and more importantly, retain membership, you know, like yourself? I think the world, obviously, uh, we, we can, it's nothing brilliant to say the world has changed. And even for scale modeling, it's the same. I mean, even if you think about, you know, we're talking about old modeling websites like TrackLink and, and Missing Links. Those are even kind of, at this point, a little outmoded because even if you don't have your own website at this point, you can go on Facebook and set things, set something up for free, whether it's your own personal site or a group for all kinds of people for whatever subject you want. So there's a lot more flexibility, I think. And if they can find ways to really bring in more people in their specific group, like Gundams or cars or something, because IPMS, it's really good, easy to get fit in with airplanes and even armor. But maybe the Gundam guys or the car guys might not find that the organization's really quite what they were hoping for. And there's other groups out there within those organizations that might serve them better. I think what's good about IPMS is the fact that there is so many different categories. There are so many different kinds of modelers in there. But if you can find a way to enhance that experience for them 
where each of those groups feels like they really belong and that their way of doing things can be accepted. And in my mind, it might be better maybe to switch to a method of where each of those different categories is almost like its own guild or something. And within the larger organization, there's certain big rules or framework that you go through, but then each guild, so to speak, might be able to have their own specific stuff that judging style or building style might be different, but within that particular area, it's still acceptable. Because it's great that we have all these different groups, but sometimes it can be hard to wrangle them and get everybody together. So if we can find a way to kind of bring people together, but also give them a lot of flexibility to be creative within their own genre and space, I think that would be helpful. And sometimes it feels like kind of the NAT system as it is now kind of pigeonholes people into a very specific way of building models. I think what it's important for people to understand about IPMS is, is, is exactly, you know, what you've hit, hinted at where, you know, there's IPMS as an organization and then the convention, the nationals is that culmination, but within the convention, there's the contest in the contest it's actually governed by a body that is associated with IPMS, but it, it operates on its own accord. It's the National Contest Committee. They're a group of members that you know decide the rules and enforce them every contest. And I do think there are opportunities to evolve. When I think about IPMS and, and certainly now as, as a person of the e-board, it's important to look at every aspect of the organization and especially aspects of the organization that draw dare I say criticism, when you talk about IPMS and you want to understand where there are opportunities, I tell you what, nine out of 10 people point to the contest. Nine out of 10 people believe that if there is you know, something to improve, something to evolve, it always goes towards the contest and how you know, modelers are judged, rewarded, and evaluated for that matter. So I, I think there's an opportunity for that. I will say it won't happen overnight. But what I will say is I think there is a really good agent of change in the eboard right now. Uh, there's a lot of new members on it. And we've had internal discussions. And we are all aligned on what people are saying and what needs to evolve over the over the near term and to not only grow the society but you know not lose members and and I think there are simple steps outside of that as well you know making it more intuitive to find your membership information but you know one of the things I'd love to hit on and you mentioned right there room for another organization this has always intrigued me because before running for IPMS I seriously considered starting a new modeling group on kind of an IPMS level or AMPS level. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, David, on how would you go about that and what it would look like? I, I think it'd be really interesting to, to know. It's funny you mentioned that because I've had the same thought myself. It's just a matter of time really. And at this point, it's kind of, well, maybe I should wait. You know, I've got seven years till I retire. Maybe I could tackle it then. But I definitely think that's something I'd rather see sooner than later. I think, again, it's it's flexibility and being able to support differences within the hobby while still bringing people together. Because, I mean, you think about it, we all have the tropes about, you know, aircraft modelers and how they are and armor modelers and car guys. I think that, in my mind, if you had individual, like I said before, guilds almost, like you had like a Gundam guild and a car guild and an armor guild, and with each of those, they had kind of their own way of doing things. When you go to a contest, potentially they'd have a way of doing it, but Again, within a larger framework, there's certain things that the larger group would insist on, but other things that the group itself within the larger organization could decide to give people a little bit of a stake, a little bit of buy-in, some feeling they have some skin in the game, where it's not necessarily the sometime seemingly mysterious NCC that's out there 
kind of controlling things behind the scenes, but rather, you know, you've got this guild and you're involved with the guild because maybe you've got your own website and discussion group that's specific to your guild within the organization. And you guys kind of decide how some specific stuff for you works at whether it's convention or whether it's how your discussion group is run or how you do local contests or online features, or even you guys want to have your own party or dinner at the big convention or whatever it is, you know? It's a really interesting idea. So rather than have one centralized committee that's in charge of every aspect of every category, maybe uh, put together a group with, you know, maybe you expand special interest groups, which I think in the UK, I think the special interest groups have a lot more of a role in IPMS from what I've been able to see than they do here in the US. So maybe take those special interest groups and break up the judging and the administration of the contest for those groups and then kind of coordinate those together. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. And I think you could expand that idea of separate but united, if you want to think of it that way, to all different levels. You know, it wouldn't necessarily be just we have our standards for what we want to do, but also, all right, guys, we're doing our thing. Let's, you know, start getting some judges together for the big show, you know, whatever it is. That's kind of, again, how AMPS does things sometimes is, you know, prior to the big international convention they have every year, they'll send out a notice, hey guys, we need people to sign up to be judges and table captains and assistant chief judges, you know, so here's the website, you know, go sign up, you know, and a lot of those guys get drafted or recruited the day of, but quite a few, you know, maybe sometimes half or two thirds, you know, on a good year are already signed up beforehand. And that's probably easier to do the smaller you break that down. And if you have people who are already kind of knowing each other from online stuff and local events, and they already have that connection of their portion of the hobby they like. And of course, it wouldn't have to be just like you can only belong to the one. I mean, if you want to be in the Gundam Guild and the Airplane Guild and the Car Guild, you can do all three, you know, and there's nothing that would, in my mind, prevent that. But I think you should, we should definitely have to start playing into, there's so many different ways to build a model and there's so different ways to build a model and make it look good. And we shouldn't discourage that. We should encourage that as much as possible. And sometimes when you get enough people in one category, but one system of doing things, and again, this is just kind of specific to contests, that it can feel a little constrictive at times. And I know definitely from talking to guys who do like cars and stuff that they kind of feel that way towards IPMS, that it's not really feeding into their own culture, as it were, within the car model. And that's why a lot of guys I used to know that were really excellent car modelers would just skip the Nats and go to what used to be called the NNLs. They go to the old NNL show because that was more geared towards the way they didn't have a system of judging first, second, and third. All they did was a series of special awards. And they had quite a few, but that's all they did. And it was a specific to how they like to do stuff. And I think if you can kind of bring people together and utilize those differences to make people more together as the whole, even though it sounds kind of counterintuitive, I think it's possible to do that, especially with the internet and Facebook and Instagram and all these different platforms that we have now to bring people together from all over the world. I feel like you really could make a truly international organization. And there's so many people out there with so much knowledge, not only about hobbies, but also just this guy knows a lot about PowerPoint presentations and media. And this guy knows a lot about, you know, working with hotels because professionally he does that. You'd have a lot, a huge base of talent, I think, to bring all these people together with our own love for scale modeling. 
Yeah. And you also mentioned feedback. And, you know, that's something that I've heard a lot of, you know, where I think, especially with newer modelers, like I'm going to I'm going to use the Gundam group because that's a sizable group of new younger modelers that aren't engaging in large numbers with IPMS or amps. And the feedback that I get from a lot of them is, you know, they spend a ton of time, pour their kind of heart and soul into a model and they don't get good quality feedback. Yeah, I mean, if you think about just the way the world is now, people expect something more now because it's become so much easier to provide it. And I think within scale modeling, we're kind of fooling ourselves if we think it's impossible to have a large convention, whether you want to call it a contest or a juried exhibition, doesn't really matter. You you do none of that and just have a gathering with displays. It doesn't really matter, but we're fooling ourselves if we think that it's not possible to make these things happen. And I think talking to friends of mine in the hobby, the feeling about at least IPMS anyway, is that it's like, well, we, we, it's just, it's too hard. We, we can't do that. We can't change. There's too much to lose. We have too much at stake to lose if we try to make these changes. And I just think that's kind of a cop-out. You, you have to try. And even if it's small, I mean, it's something small and I don't expect like overnight we've made this thing into an entirely different animal. That would be foolish to expect that as well. But to move forward and say, all right, well, clearly at least half the membership wants to do something different, we should start pushing towards something new. And, you know, get feedback, get lots of information before you make any commitments, but small changes over time end up being a big change. And I think that's really what's required now. Yeah. And and you really hit it on the head there, David. What what I've all, and I'll be honest, one of the reasons I ran for office is because I'm, I'll be honest, I just got fed up with the constant you know, constant pushback with a simple suggestion from the membership. And it was immediately met with, no, that's not going to work. We have our system. It's like, well, let's let time out. We can at least have this discussion. We can at least explore these ideas. As you've mentioned, with the advent of social media and communication methods, we're, we're hearing a lot more from people that we typically didn't hear from in the past. And, and the membership is speaking. Like you said, half the membership, now I will say they're, the voting, more people voted for one, two, three versus gold, silver, bronze than the actual e-board elections when that vote occurred two years ago. So I, I want to caution when people discount that is the membership that doesn't represent the membership. Well, less membership chose the people who are leading the organization. So I, I think it's important, like you said, you know, we don't need to make a drastic change, but we can see that, hey, half the people that cared enough to end, you know, show their self and raise their voice stated that they would like to explore a new system that can at least kick off some sort of discussion. And I would say if, if people want to make that change and, and, and again, another reason why I ran is I want to get more people involved, you know, IPMS touts, we are a society by modelers for modelers. And, and I agree, but the, the by modeler, you know, by modeler portion is smaller than the format. You know, it's, it's just really small how many people actually, bake the bread or, you know, make the cookies at the end of the day. I would love to see, like you said, I, I didn't call them guilds, but I called them committees where, you know, each major e-board has a member, has a subcommittee. And then as we look at the show itself, has a committee on the show experience, getting seminars, getting new genres in. How do we attract, you know, not only younger modelers, but, you know, modelers from different genres that aren't typically at the national convention. Uh, you know, Scott and I attended Colpar Hobby. We've mentioned it on our show. And the biggest category there was sci-fi, hands down. 
There were more sci-fi than every other category combined. And it's like, what are they doing? And then how can IPMS, you know, replicate that draw for that genre of model? For years, you know, years ago, working in a hobby shop and this having been an IPMS and AMPS and, this, and internet presence in the hobby, just talking to people and, and listening. I can definitely say that it's not for any lack of people having an interest in, in the hobby. It's not dying at all, either from a manufacturing perspective or from an interest in people perspective. Because we used to get kids all the time, 20 years ago in a hobby shop come in that I never would see at any contest local or IPMS or anything. And they were really into cars, man. They would order all this stuff for car models. And, but it wasn't like classic dirt racers or NASCAR or hot rods. They were doing, you know, slammed cars with D's on them and hydraulic kits and all, but that wasn't really what the scale modeling community was really into. So they didn't really feel that. So they just kind of had their own thing. And, but those kids spent a lot of money in the shop and we bought stuff specifically because they were coming in. It had nothing to do with a model club. There's definitely plenty of people out there that could get involved. And I was judged locally, regionally, nationally. I wrote articles for the IPMS USA Journal a number of times. Uh, I was on the e-board locally for my clubs that I had here in Daytona and then later on in South Carolina when I lived there. So I was involved to an extent. And honestly, I didn't quit IPMS really at all. I just forgot to renew my membership because it just was the farthest thing from my mind. And literally, I was walking to the mailbox thinking, you know, I haven't seen an IPMS journal in a little while. Did I forget to renew my membership? Because that's kind of the point where I had gotten that I was kind of thinking, oh, do I want to rejoin or not? And it just kind of faded from my mind. And then when I finally realized and I found my old membership card, I was like, oh, crap, I didn't re renew my membership. Meh. Oh, well. And it didn't really impact me. Now, I, I wouldn't honestly have felt that way about AMPS because I still feel like I have something that I can give and get back from that organization still. I could very easily see that organization being in exactly the same spot that IPMS is at now, but I think because they're so much smaller and focused, it's maybe going to take a little bit longer potentially for them to kind of feel that impact. So maybe they're kind of the equivalent of one of these guilds or special interest groups exactly. we've been talking because about. Because they're so focused. Uh, I think if you had, you could bring in amps and you could bring in some Gundam club from Asia or whatever, you know, it's, it's examples into a larger organization, obviously not literally, but just kind of figuratively saying that. And I, I think if you did that, I think you would take advantage of both the differences and the unique flavor that each of these groups brings. I just just think of how neat that would be if you had something like World Model Expo, where every two or three years you get all these groups together in a truly international show, and you've got the Gundam guys over here and the armor guys and the airplane guys and the car guys kind of doing their thing, but all coming together at the same time, laughing and joking and talking and looking at all the other models, but still having their own kind of personal, unique buy-in and flavor that they're adding to the event, but still supporting the whole. To me, I think that's that's my vision of what I think a really great, truly international scale modeling organization should be. And I don't think there's any reason we can't have that. And I think we absolutely should. Now, if there's individual stuff within each country, that's great. You know, that absolutely should be. But I think just with the internet and podcasts and Facebook and Instagram, we should absolutely be taking advantage of that connectivity that's just waiting for somebody to take advantage of it. Uh, I think at this point, if if you can ask the question, if we do this, Will it bring in more people to the fold? 
If you can say yes, it's probably a good idea at this point. David, you you know, you've brought up a lot of good points. And I think, you know, one of the most important aspects to create an agent of change is, is just getting people motivated. And, and maybe I'm biased, but I think the podcasts have done a great job of that within the last year. You know, we had a lot of first timers at the nationals and, and I'd like maybe to work with you. We can, we can certainly do it offline as, you know, what, you know, how do we leverage, you know, social media influencers? How do we you know, bring people together and get them involved. Like you said, I think, I think people want to get involved and it's like, how, how do we cross that line and, and, and push them over the edge to like come to a show and then realize like, holy cow, this is the four best days of the hobby that I've ever had. Um, not because of the competition, but because of the people we've met and the things that we're doing. So, so, you know, with that, all that, David, you know, would, would you be interested in, you know, helping IPMS evolve and, and change and attract, you know, new modelers and, and maybe think of, you know, how to do things differently? Would you, would you be open to, you know, joining a subcommittee? Sweet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things actually you, you brought up a point before, David, in the, earlier in our conversation is, you know, there are countless media, you know, social media modelers out there. And it's actually kind of hard to keep track of them. One of the things that I've thought of is, you know, can IPMS be that repository in a sense of cataloging these people down to genre, down to what platform they're on, just, just as a simple database for if someone is new getting into the hobby, they can go in there and see a consolidated list of publicly accessible hobby-related material that they can take advantage of. What are your thoughts on that? I think that could definitely be a component. Uh, I think, think about what you see out there right now on Facebook and Instagram. And when you're just kind of cruising around and you're looking at the models on there, you know, what are you thinking? You know, and I don't really, even when I, I mean, I think I still follow IPMS, but I really don't see very much on there. But again, it seems like it's a little slow to occur. You know, I feel like we're, we're not really taking advantage of what's out there right now. I think if IPMS just alone had a bigger presence, a and not just here's a new kit review and stuff, but just a, a place where modelers could post stuff. You know, there's so many groups out there that say, you know, this is the advanced modelers group or this is the scale modelers critique group and stuff. And, but there's something there that people are getting out of that. There's there's a reason why they're there. And then the, primarily the reason is people showing off their models and getting feedback from people. And if IPMS does something just as simple as that to say, hey, here's our new IPMS USA Facebook page. And this is what's going to be different about it because we're going to be all about you guys posting your models, showing off your stuff, asking for feedback. There's some way you can kind of harness that. I think that would be an avenue to make something like what you're talking about very practical and very useful to people. Because, man, I really like this group that IPMS has set up. Oh, somebody just mentioned something. Oh, I can go on this resource they have over here and look that guy up. It would be an excellent way to increase interactivity and connection between people. And to me, if I've learned anything, you know, through this whole pandemic we've been in, I didn't know anything about podcasts before the pandemic. I'd never listened to one, but now I have several, not just scale modeling, but other stuff too. And you get that sense of community. There's so many people. It's like you, you, I've found through podcasts and Facebook and Instagram that I communicate with from time to time about the hobby. And if you find a way to make a page that does that, again, will that bring more people into the fold? And if it does, it's probably the right thing. If it doesn't, chuck it to the side and find something that does. But I think absolutely, if you have that resource, but it's got to be paired with something that brings people in and gives them an avenue to feel like they're part of something. And that's what podcasts have done. That's what Facebook and Instagram, they feel like they're a part of this group for feedback. They feel like they're a part of somebody's journey and modeling, and they can kind of participate in that and get 
good things out of that for themselves as well. It's all about being part of something. And that's really, I think what we've really seen in the, in the midst of this horrible pandemic is we've found a new way to come together that we kind of knew was there, but now it's really been highlighted by all these restrictions. And if we can take that and harness that towards real world activities and we actually meet face to face, again, if it's bringing more people in, it's probably the right idea. Now you have me motivated. I, I think the biggest thing uh, for you know these these changes is just getting people to help. Like we've talked about, I think there's people out there willing to. Maybe they just need to be asked. So listeners, I guess be prepared to be asked at some point to uh, to help support this because I, I think it's a great idea. I think yeah, social media for everything that's negative about it, I truly believe it is it is the biggest single most important change the hobby has seen in the last 50 years. I don't care about kits or techniques or products, but you know, social media and having the ability to connect with your fellow modelers that prior to, you know, 2004, maybe it was a, you know, solitary hobby that you would connect at a show or, you know, your local IPMS chapter, social media has really changed the game. And I think it's, I think it's the single greatest positive thing for the hobby. Maybe IPMS needs a podcast. Yeah, I ain't signing up to do that. I already got one. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, a portal where, you know, they engage with social hobby, with yeah. social media, excuse me, where they have a podcast portal and they have a YouTube portal, you know, because, I, I, again, going back to the Gundam group, the demographics of that group is younger. They aren't going to give two cents for a magazine that comes in the mail. They just don't care. They don't consume that kind of media. But what they do care about is YouTube and, you know, maybe TikTok. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too crazy here, but, you know, I mean, if, if that's what they respond to and that's how they get collaboration and how they interact with other people that do the same hobbies they do, I think a portal might might be a great answer for that. Definitely. Yeah. And I would encourage our listeners, you know, based on this conversation, feel free to write in, tell us your feedback. If you're a member of IPMS, why are you a member? If you're not, why? Uh, you know, it's it's really important to, you know, gather this feedback and hopefully change for the better. Well, that was a great, uh, great discussion, John and David. That's awesome. What's great is that you guys are engaged in the hobby. You guys both make great contributions. And that was a, that was a lot of fun to talk. And uh, John, uh, obviously, we'll continue to support you in anything that you can do. And hopefully we can make some great changes. So, um, David, kind of getting back to your your modeling, you know, how, how do you feel like modeling has impacted your life, uh, either for, you know, for the better or, or maybe for the worse? How, how has modeling helped you? I mean, it's definitely for the better. I mean, obviously, we all have our struggles when we want to throw something across the room from time to time and, and wish we hadn't even started it. But uh, for me, I mean, occupationally, uh, I'm an air traffic controller. I've been doing that. Actually, today is 19 years as of today that I've been doing air traffic. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a weird job. You know, everybody thinks it's stressful, but to be honest, it's just weird more than it's stressful. And if there's a stressful part, it's my coworkers uh, because we're all <laughs> type A personalities. We all have to have it our way. And there's always a lot of yelling and screaming. And if you hear like a tape of something, you know, of an air traffic, it always sounds really calm. And that's what we say on frequency. But as soon as we unkey the mic, we're screaming at this guy or that guy. <laughs> or whatever. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background. I've had a lot of Co-workers, you know, they've really struggled over the years with that occupation. I mean, I have guys who have, have died and, you know, and it's not as bad probably as people think, but there's definitely, you know, people who struggle with drugs and alcohol and mental health. And for me, uh, having had family members that definitely struggle from that and 
seeing their struggles in me as well, having that output, uh, that outlet that I can have to help deal with those struggles is a, been a huge blessing. It's been really just an amazing thing to have in my life because there's definitely days when you come home and you know, I've had a couple of times, you know, I've had fatal accidents that, you know, you have to kind of deal with and someone didn't make it home and thank God it wasn't my fault. You know, I just happened to be there when it happened. That stuff can still weigh on you. You know, there's definitely times, you know, I have plenty of nightmares at night of planes crashing and going down in flames and that's never pleasant, but having that outlet is great. And I know for me personally, and just the way my mind has always worked for as long as I can remember is that I've always got multiple thought strands going on all the time and modeling the way I describe people is modeling and going out and running. I'm also a big runner. And those two things are really the only two things that I have that quiet it down to just one thing. Yeah. Just be able to focus and get rid of all the extraneous noise. I can sit at my desk for two, three, four hours and pop on some some tunes or a podcast. And all I'm thinking about is how am I going to put this chain on this pistol port plug for this KV-2? Or how am I going to work these individual track links in during this build or to sit there and space out? And it's really just a, a, a wonderful thing just to quiet everything down and to just kind of help deal with that stress. And, you know, some of that's just naturally there based on who I am and some of it's job induced or, you know, obviously, you know, just life induced, but just having modeling there is something just to focus on, just melts everything else away. And for me, that's just one of the things I'm most grateful for about the hobby. Yeah, that's absolutely um, the case. And, you know, we we talk on our podcast about there being no wrong way to do it. We all want to improve and get better. But, you know, we continue, you, you continually kind of address that, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, struggling and you're, you should be having fun in this hobby. You should be, you know, doing something that allows you to enjoy what you're doing. And, you know, not take it so seriously because there's a lot of good that can come from it. And I really, really appreciate you sharing that with us. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, while you were building that T-34, saw you collaborate with a lot of people and answer a lot of questions. And I've, I've often found for me that when I'm struggling and when I'm down, if I can help somebody, if it's just giving them a tip or whatever, if I can do something for somebody else, that just makes a lot of the things I'm going through so much easier to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, so it's part of that whole community aspect that I think has really, I feel like is starting to come to light more now for any number of reasons, I guess. But I definitely feel, I feel like at this point in time, there's a better scale modeling community with all the components. I mean, IPMS, AMPS, Facebook, Instagram, personal connections, everything. It just feels like the scale modeling community now is bigger and growing more now than it really feels like it ever has been in the time that I've been building scale models. And one of the great parts about that is you could have somebody that's a friend of yours that you've never even really met, but you just start communicating and discover you have a lot in common. And if if you need somebody to rely on, they're there. You know, that's somebody that you can yeah. talk to. And just having that kind of shared bond over this, you know, great hobby that we have, it's just incredibly important. And there's definitely, you know, everybody has hard days. And when you have somebody that you can kind of, even if it's just talking about whatever you got to talk about or getting out of that headspace and talking yeah. about something totally different and having that common ground that you can talk about, it's just, it's, it's just immensely important. I mean, uh, 
John and I are a great example. You know, I, I uh, have always been a fan of John's modeling and uh, we asked him to be on our first podcast. And then, as you know, eventually asked him to be a part of the podcast. And uh, I'll tell you that that friendship that John and I have developed together means a lot to me. You know, we, we call each other to talk models. We call each other to talk the podcast, but sometimes we call each other just to talk, you know, if we're having, having a bad day. And, and that means, that means, you know, way more than a T34 or a KV1 or, you know, whatever I'm working on at the time. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely echo that. You know, I, some of my best friends I've met through this hobby and I, and I think my wife still wonders, how can you talk to so many people? Like, uh, you know, I don't understand, like, you know, for a solitary hobby, you know, the, you're always texting people and it's like, well, you know, we have a, we have a pretty tight knit group chat that, um, you know, it's just, it's just really fun. Uh, and this hobby has given us so much and certainly helped me, uh, in times of struggle. So I, I, zero complaints, best hobby in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's tough sometimes to maintain that, uh, balance in life and, you know, making sure mentally you're, you're squared away and that everything's good, you know, especially on those bad days, but, uh, having that thing to look forward to and having somebody to talk to and look forward to that is, a uh, that in itself can save somebody, you know, that in itself, just knowing that that's there, just waiting for you to just reach out and knowing that it's going to be there for you, that that can be huge for somebody who's having a, a tough time. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I've seen it on the opposite end too, where people take the hobby too seriously and cause undue stress. And it's like, yeah, bro, uh, don't, don't worry about buying the latest kit, you know, pay the bills or, you know, don't worry about losing at a show on a Sunday. It's, it's literally any given Sunday. It's, it's so don't, you know, try, try to find the joy in it. There's always somebody better. I mean, uh, again, as a controller, I'm definitely a type A personality and I'm also just competitive in general. So I like to win. I'm not even going to try and sugarcoat that. So if I go to a contest, I definitely would love to win, but it's certainly not the end of the world if I don't. And I have definitely met some people over the years. I remember one nationals one year, there was a guy just walked up to me and said, Hey, how's it going? He's like, yeah, you see that model there? Well, this wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I don't know this guy. He's just going, <laughs> he's just critiquing the hell out of this model. And there's somebody else standing next to me. And the guy kind of looks around me and says, yeah, well, what do you think, man? I think this and this and this. And the guy's like, well, actually it's my model. <laughs> and that shut that guy up real fast. But I'm like, why would you even do that, man? You know, just yeah. this, that the guy kind of attitude gets nobody anything, you know? And I don't even, I didn't know either one of these guys. And I, I just kind of like, okay, see you later. Damage. <laughs> yeah, I just got caught in the middle. <laughs> this really awkward situation. But, you know, I've, I've seen that a few times. Unfortunately, it's not, it's not the most often that I see that, but it definitely does happen. But why would you even want to, man? I mean, yeah. you, you could definitely much more easily say, well, I really like what you did here. But why, it, have you ever thought about this? Or, man, yeah. check out this one over here. Man, I really had that got done on that. I wish I could do that, you know, and just kind of shift that conversation to be positive rather than negative. But for some people, and I've, I've had friends, you know, you see them and it's one of those awkward moments where they're doing judging in the room while people are still in the room and somebody's just hovering with their arms crossed behind him. And I've, that's that's been a friend of mine that did that. And I'm like, Hey man, come over here for a second. You know, maybe you might enjoy this more if we don't hover over the judges while they're doing their job because they've got to do it and it's not going to do you any good to just sit there and just stew over all of it, you know? At the Nats, when, I mean, I, uh, it's obvious I enter a lot of armor, but I also judge armor and I refuse to judge a category 
that's even next to mine. I don't even want to be around when judges Absolutely. are, yeah. you know, looking over, you know, the category that I'm entered in because as a judge, I don't want that happening to me. And I, it's just super awkward. And I mean, the worst, I mean, I've had people come up after I've judged a category and said, what's wrong with my model? And it's like, time out, time out. We, we haven't even given awards yet. Like, so, you know, but like you said, it's the exception, not the norm. I think on the other side, there's a lot of people. I mean, when we were at Nat Scott, you know, I look back to Vegas cause we keep mentioning it, but some of the best times were walking around the contest room and just glowing from all of the inspiration that's on the table and taking away like, damn, this guy did this. Holy crap. Or, or, or a woman it, that that's the, that's the best part. That's, I mean, that is, that's always the biggest thing for me is the inspiration and, and even Facebook, Instagram, what I'm always looking for is what that, that moment you see that model that hits that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that is cool. And this, how they did this one thing here. I, it's, I remember, I, it's, I wish I could remember his name, but it's a, a fairly well-known modeler, but I was at a show in Atlanta and he had a figure of a guy welding, but he had this tiny little led at the end of the welder that make it look. I think it was Kenneth Childers. That might be right. Yeah. And I saw that and I was like, that that's cool. It's, Simple, it's a moment yeah. like that. You know, it's just a little thing, but it's like, that's so cool. And I always try to aim for that in my own models. It's like, what can I do this time to maybe have, even if it's just something small, a small little moment where people will be like, oh, wow, check that out. You know, if you look a little bit deeper and you see, oh, that's really cool. Anytime I yeah. see that, I was like, that person's done something good. I don't care how good the rest of the model is. If they did that one thing, I'll, I'll give them credit. They're like, that's, that's super cool that you're able to have that one little thing that's inspire somebody. That's always the best. Yeah. And, and like you said, that happens on social media too. And I, I would point, I had that moment when I saw Adam Wilder's uh, massive, they called it the mouse killer, that ISU monster thing. And, you know, I'd saw pictures of it getting, being built, but he posted one picture where it's like a macro shot of the mantlet and the front glacis. And you can see the texture and the patina and all the different effects. And it's like, dang, that that just brought it home for me and is just unbelievably inspirational. Yeah. I think it was at the 05 Nats in Atlanta. There was a, a figure modeler that was in Tony Greenland's Panzer Modeling Masterclass thing. Is his name yep. Stefan Mueller, Herod Americans, yep. I think. And he was, I didn't meet him, but I, he brought, he came all the way from Switzerland or Austria, wherever he was from. And he brought some of his figures and I had seen them in the book. I was like, oh, that's really cool. But he had them in a little small vignette. And one of the figures I remember from the book was in this vignette and on top of this like little outhouse was a cat mm-hmm. and the cat and 35th scale had whiskers. And I'm like, I, how is it even possible <laughs> to put whiskers on a 35th scale cat? But it's stuff, you yep. see stuff like that. I, there was another year they had a big, huge diorama of a B-17 going through its startup procedures. It's like mm-hmm. an airfield in Britain and it was all lit up and you hit the button and it had audio and lights and the propeller started turning over and you, know, you hear the engines firing up. And I was like, that is neat. It's stuff like that that I go to contests for. Like that made the trip worth it. You know, that's just to get pictures of that and get ideas. Uh, I made a Sturm Tiger one time and I was going to do a full interior and a guy in a club did an M109 and he had lit the interior. I was like, how did you do that? I said, so well, I use these LED lighting kits from the model railroad industry. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And he did. And I was like, all right, cool. That's what I'm doing to my Sturm Tiger. I'm, I'm going to find a way. I don't know how. That I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I did. And it's just get those little moments of inspiration are what really to me are the, the payoff for going to those shows. No, a hundred percent. I mean, we, we witnessed that throughout 
the event at Vegas, you know, especially, I'll be honest, the sci-fi category was the one I drew the most inspiration from seeing the scratch belt hammerhead, how he lit it, even how he took it apart to transport it in a carry on bag. I mean, (laughs) super, just unbelievable work. Uh, the figures there just something like you said, it's little things with each one. And that's something I need to get better about, not just making a plain Jane Panzer, but you know, trying to tell a story through, you know, through something, something unique, whether it's a different color or an object like, you know, uh, um, uh, Adam Wilder talked about putting a green chair on his, on his mouse killer, just, you know, something like that to, mm-hmm. you know, just make you stop and think a little bit more. Uh, and, and Rinaldi talks about all the time, you know, telling a story with effects and, you know, asymmetric, you know, weathering, things like that. Um, I'm always intrigued about and always looking for at shows and giant tarps on barrels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, David, we're, John and I are going to ask you now to pull out your crystal ball and polish it up. So the first thing uh, I'm going to ask you is um, what is the future for DB scale model studio? Where do you see it kind of evolving and going? in the next four or five years? You know, I kind of have this idea in my head that it's building for something. Uh, again, I retire in seven years. Uh, we can retire fairly young, I'd like to think anyway, as air traffic controllers. Uh, and I'd like it to be something more, whether that's towards some kind of new modeling organization or an outgrowth of what I'm already doing into like a, a blog or a channel or something. Uh, I've always thought the idea of writing a scale modeling book would be great. Uh, I think we talk about, you know, the basics and modeling and stuff, and some people don't like that term, and there's debate about that. But I think, you know, you don't know what you know until you know it. And there's a lot of people out there that they don't know that night shift's out there. They don't understand. Shep Payne wrote a book a long time ago. And I kind of think it's almost high time for just an all-new book for beginners. And for me, it would mostly be military models. Uh, and, but I, what I think would be really cool, if I could pick anything, is kind of an outgrowth is to take these people and connections that you meet and that you discover. And I think it would be really neat if you had a how-to book to guide people in military modeling from the basics to the master level stuff with some notable people contributing. You know, if you could get Mike Rinaldi and Adam Wilder and Martin Kovac and all these guys to write like a section of a book or contribute pictures. And you go back and look at that original Chef Payne book, Modeling Tanks and Military Vehicles. Steve Zalogo's got stuff in there. There's all kinds of big names in there. Francois Verlinden that just had a picture in that book. And it's like, not only they wrote an article, it's just, oh, wow, look at that, you know? And it's like really cool. And you look back, it's like, wow, these were all big names. But back then, maybe not so much. They were not as big as Chef, but in their own right over time, they became that. So I think it's, it's I, I personally feel like the time has come that we need something new. Now, what medium that would be, I don't know, because again, it is 21st century and I like print. I love magazines. Uh, every new issue of Dioramag that comes out, I'm always buying that because that's just a, a huge source of information, uh, inspiration for me. Uh, I'd love to get more into dioramas and maybe focusing on that maybe more in the future, potentially, again, because of that storytelling potential that's there. Um, not, I don't want to do big ones, but very focused ones that really focus your attention on a really a emotionally impactful scene. So I guess I could say that either moving towards something more meaningful that gives back to the community or focusing more maybe on story-related modeling would maybe two directions I could see potentially going. 
So that was really great, David. And, you know, kind of to build on that and, and a question we love to ask people is, you know, what is your magnum opus build? You know, looking, you know, looking into the future, what is something, it can be anything. It can be simple as a figure or an elaborate diorama, but, you know, you know, before you hang up the, the sprue cutters and put the paintbrush away, you know, what, what, is, what subject, what type of model that you would love to build, uh, you know, as a magnum opus? Do I have to pick just one? You got to pick one. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Oh, you can geez. pick. A, you can you can lead off with your top choice. How about that? You know, uh, as cliched as maybe as it is, I really love the Tiger Tank, and not there's a lot of stuff around. It. I feel there's both a lot of information and misinformation about it, and I've I've read about it as much as I can, and I'm always trying to get new information. I just think from an engineering perspective, as well as actual battlefield history and propaganda, it's just a very very interesting subject. And so I've pretty much collected all of the primary models of the tiger now including prototypes and everything it's about Mm -hmm. 17 or 18 models and i would love to build all of those and i haven't decided whether either do it myself or i think it would be really cool if you got like a modeling super group together and say all right here's everybody i'll give you the kit but we got to build all these tigers mike rinaldi adam wilder jb myself anybody well, thank you various levels of awesomeness but still a really good group of guys that could do really knock out of the park this collection of tigers and then have it like at the nationals or something or some big venue world model expo something we had this big group build of a lot of notable people building the highest possible level quality of a really iconic vehicle i think that would be really cool nice yeah that would be that would be awesome that'd be really 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 cool we all know the the hobby's not dying i mean you know we have more choices than ever before how do you think the hobby's going to continue to change you know where are we going to be in five or ten years oh man um it's funny to see how much things have changed just in the past 20 uh god i mean even now if you think about you know again like those dragon tiger kits when they came out they were the top of the line and that was 15 16 years ago and now there's stuff that's even better than those so it's almost hard to imagine uh i think it's 3d printing is definitely going to get to the point where not only is it easy for most nearly anybody to do it and produce stuff on their own maybe not necessarily complex full kits though that's obviously a potential but that the quality of the print is going to be such that the fidelity is going to be even greater than it is now. And you're not going to have to worry about those lines from when things, you know, get built at certain angles and things like that. Uh, I definitely think 3D printing is going to be a, a big part of the future and just giving people a whole lot more choice of doing stuff. It used to be you had to scratch build something if you wanted to do something really unusual, you know, and I'm talking old school scratch building, not computer assisted scratch building if you want to think about it that way. But I think both the CAD drafting tools and the print technology is going to be both more intuitive and more cost effective to where I think that's going to be a much, much more viable option for most nearly anybody within the next probably five to 10 years. Yeah, I I agree. That's, that's great. Great insight. Well, David, um, can't wait to see that uh, when you finish up that KV2 that you've been working on. It's beautiful model as, as per always. And uh, your work's been an inspiration for us. Uh, thank you for stopping by. Loved your insights and, uh, you know, your ideas for, you know, improving or changing some of the modeling organizations that are out there and just appreciate talking to you. It's uh, been everything I was hoping for. Thanks for having me. It was, it was great talking to you guys. It was a blast. 
Yeah, it was fun, especially the uh, early on bits, how we almost crossed paths a few times. Yeah, <laughs> missed each other by just a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and a, a special a special thank you to you for you know, sharing what the hobby means to you and how it helps you as well. That message, you know, it's important to us. I know you know that, but letting everybody know that we all get down, we all have bad days and this hobby can be a force for good. So thank you for sharing that. Sure thing. All right. Well, take care, David, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Take care. Later. All right. Take care. Well, that was a really great interview. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And David is a really interesting guy and clearly passionate about the hobby. And it sounds like you and John had a really good time talking to him. But now it's time to move on to our discussion point. And I know JB had a solid gold discussion point for us. Unfortunately, he can't be here. So I'm going to try and steal this and try and try and be as eloquent as he would regarding this discussion. So living up to expectations, leaving the world of social media and putting your work on the table. Proceed. I'll start. I I think um, it's really easy. You know, we've talked ad nauseum um, here on the podcast about the upside of social media is that we get this unbelievable, unprecedented amount of collaboration. You know, we get a we get to see what Martin does every single week and see you know the the modeling that he's doing. We get to see what Adam Wilder's working on, and on and on and on and on. You know what you guys do, and I think what's important is that as individual modelers, and I'm, I'll speak for myself, but I think it probably applies here. We, we can't be intimidated. We've got to look at, at, at the amazing work that we have access to as inspiration. And instead of saying, my model has to be as good as Ivan's or Grant's, it, it has to be, I was inspired by Grant's model and Ivan's model, but this is my work. And I I'm going to share it in it and not allow yourself to be intimidated in, in that way. And I think the other part of it is, is these get togethers and, you know, whether it's Telford or IPMS Nationals or your local club, I think the, the only way that those really help the community is if people participate and, um, we're always going to be our own worst critic. And so if we just sort of choose to leave our work at home and don't bring it and I'm, you know, I'll raise my hand. I've been guilty of this because it's easy to be intimidated, but you don't know. There might be somebody there that might be inspired by what you bring. You know, we all um, see things a little bit differently, but I think it's really, really important to participate, support. And uh, like I said, you never know, maybe somebody ends up, you know, being inspired by, by what you brought. I know that Every time I see other people's work, no matter, you know, what it is, and especially when you see it, um, Ivan, I think you made this comment earlier in real life, maybe it was you, Grant, but when you see that work in real life, it always is different than on social media. The way, Ivan, that you see color, we've talked about, you know, that build with the ambulance, the Model T ambulance, the way that you saw that color and executed that really, really inspired me. You know, Grant, uh, the purple that you did on that on the bust of Thanos, you know, just beautiful, gorgeous purple, very, very inspiring. You know, Doug's A wing that he brought out to Colorado and stuff. You know, we can go on and on. JB's uh, love of tricolor schemes, everything he does, and 
you know, on and on and on. But it, it, the important point, the, the point I'm trying to make here is it's all really inspiring to me. I get a lot of value out of it. And, and then of course that spurs discussions that we, that we get to have. So anyway, that's my answer. Support, support these shows, support these events and don't be intimidated. Don't hold yourself to an unreasonable standard, you know, be proud of what you're doing and, and don't be hard on yourself and bring your stuff. Anyway, Grant, what do you think about all that nonsense? I just spew. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. I think it, it starts with the small clubs, getting your stuff, you know, and that's where you get your your feet underneath you. And, it's, and that's what I mean by that is by just putting your stuff on the table and having people look at it every month. You know, it's not a contest. It's just your local meeting and, you, you know, and seeing what people are bringing and you, you show your stuff and that's where you get your, your confidence. Now, you know, like you said, Scott, you you have the Rick Lowers, you have the, the Night Shift, you have all these fantastic Adams stuff is fantastic. You know, all these people that these fantastic things. But, you know, don't let that hold you back. You know, the biggest thing is that you enjoy the hobby. Show us your stuff. I tell you what, if you if you go to a show and you're standing there looking at something and you find out the person that built that is standing right next to you and you ask them how they did it, 99% of that time, that person is going to say, hey, this is how I did it. And this is what I did. And you're going to learn something from this, especially in Nats. People type to talk, you know, and I'm completely, completely guilty of this. If someone asked me how I do it, I'm, I just go into a story about how I did it and they probably want to get away from me and run away. But, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's just about learning. And, you know, part of that learning was putting my stuff on the table and understanding that, some people are going to like it. Some people are not. One of the best compliments I've ever seen is from across the room, someone was taking a picture of one of my models. That's all. That was a that was massive for me. It's just things like that that give you the confidence that you need and you'll enjoy it. You'll have fun. You'll learn. That's the key to all of this. I think, you know, like DB said in his interview, you know, we're here to help. You know, we're not here to put anybody down. We're all here to help. And that's the key. If you see me, if you don't know who I am, come by the posse table and I'll introduce myself. If you want me to go look at your stuff with you, I will jump up from the table and run over there and do it. I, I'll be the first one of the piece, you know, say, hey, let's go take a look at your stuff. And then we can talk about it. And if you ask for, you know, some questions, I'll give you the best answers I can. And I'll, I'm, I'm sure, and I, well, I'm not sure, I'm positive every single one of the, the posse would do the exact same thing. That's my opinion on it. What about you, uh, Ivan? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like you both have mentioned, local shows or clubs. A couple of months ago was the first time I ever attended a local club. They originally weren't ever my thing. I wasn't that interested. Uh, and then I got to know a couple of people who attended. They said, you know what, come down. I'll give you a lift. It'll be really cool. I did. And I've seen these guys work. And it's, I can say it's, it's Ben Smith and Darren McGuinness. Both of them attend IPMS Lancashire. I've seen their work on the internet. Looks brilliant on the internet. Then you see it in person at the club. It's like, Wow. <laughs> Although, yes, cameras have come a long way. Phone cameras have come a very, very long way. You can get beautiful pictures. I know Spencer Pollard, he's now doing a lot of his photographs with his new iPhone. But nothing, and I say this, nothing will ever beat seeing a model or vignette, composition, anything. Nothing will beat seeing that in person. I think, especially when it comes to uh, dioramas or, or, or vignettes, yeah, cameras have depth, but they don't really like pick up that dimensional depth scene scale like you do in person. And seeing stuff in person is just incredible. I love, I love seeing work in person. I, and again, I'm going to mention another guy here, Ian Gaskell. He runs the MIG SIG in the UK. Builds lots of MIGs. I've seen them online. They look incredible. 
I helped him set up the table at Telford for the Mixig. Wow, his builds are so good, and you just don't appreciate them as much on the like you see them on the internet they're great but as soon as you see them in person you have this whole new love and appreciation for people's builds and i'm going to echo what what grant and uh, scott said my first time at nats i'm bringing a couple of builds if anyone wants to talk to me about my builds i'll talk to them forever i will not shut up i, I don't get these people who make you sign ndas before any modeling they've done it's like well first you've got a promise you're not going to tell anyone how i painted this aircraft because if you do I'm going to sue you. And whatever you do, don't copy me. Yeah, God. (laughs) (laughs) Model NDAs. (laughs) Ivan, I'm really jealous because you get to see, you know, you get to see Spud, John Murphy, you get to see his work in person. You have so many great modelers over there that I I hope to see their models someday. But, you know, seeing, like we've been talking about, uh, seeing Brian Krieger in Colorado, seeing, Mm. you know, his work and, you know, John Miller's aircraft up in Seattle. I mean, everywhere you go, it's just, you're right. Seeing that in person, I mean, hopefully if somebody's out there trying to decide if they want to go to Nats or if they want to go to Telford, go for this reason because I think it really, I mean, the colors, the textures, everything in three dimensions is different than it is in two dimensions mm-hmm. yeah it, it's don't be scared like i know people could say oh i put it on the internet and then i can run away from the computer and pretend nothing was ever said about it be brave sticking on a table let let people enjoy it for what it is and talk to people about it no one well i'd like to say no one is going to come up to you at a show and say yeah that's shit. no one's going to do that um and if they do then they don't belong in the hobby it's as it's simple as that just I'd want to say take the risk, but just put yourself out there. Put your work out there. Let people enjoy it. Because I'm, about- I see it from the opposite direction. I am intimidated as heck, from, for, especially in the group builds, because I know what I build, and I see what everybody else is doing. And, I mean, I just I, I feel completely out of place doing it. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll bring stuff. That doesn't mean I'm going to feel happy with it because I, I am intimidated by it. Seem to remember, Grant, isn't there, wasn't there an A-wing in an Colorado? A-wing, that- but that's not armor that oh, I don't build. That's a totally different thing. I mean, cause I can, I can, can do Star Wars because I see, when I start a Star Wars model, I see exactly what I want to do. I start a tank and I see a tank. I have no idea how to make it what I want it to be. Something I said when I was first interviewed by the Triple P is regardless of if you think your work's good or it's amazing skill level, you could be the best or the worst in the world, put it out there because regardless of your level in the hobby to say, everyone has something to say and people want to hear it. So even if you say, think your work isn't up to our standard or our standard or whatever that is, I still want to hear what you have to think about the kit you've built or how you've weathered it. Everyone has something to say and I want to hear it. I, I agree, Ivan. You know, and Doug, don't feel bad. I mean, I am definitely afraid to touch aircraft. I don't know what it is. I, I don't, I've built sci-fi. I've built tanks. I've built figures. I, I, I want to, you give me an airplane. I get, I literally get scared because I don't know how you guys do it. I don't really know how you paint a cockpit completely up, put it in a, in a thing and then. Then you got to start cleaning seam lines. And I don't know how you guys clean seam lines like that because I've tried it and I don't, I get what they call ghost lines or mm-hmm. ghost, you know, and, but you know, it, it's a thing where I have to, I have to work on it myself and I have to find my way through the, and I, you know, do I think it's, it's good? No, but I, I and I'm, I'm going to say something very bad right now. I don't really find aircraft that interesting to tell you the truth. 
I don't. And it's maybe because of my background or whatever. I was never really into planes as a kid. And I never, I served in the army and I was a ground pounder and all that kind of stuff. I want to try it. If it's, I've got a P-38, you know, and I've got, you know, a couple other small little aircraft I want to try. I keep on hearing about these 172nd scale kits that Scott brought up earlier that are fantastic. And I, I want to try one of those, you know, and I, I've got to get the nerve up. And I understand where you're coming from, Doug, 100%. I think the thing to remember, though, is it's about the community. It's yeah. about getting getting together with other modelers. And there's no, at least there shouldn't be. There's there's no bar, you know. No. Um, I think Doug, I've seen I've seen your tanks. You know, I, uh, again, I'm gonna gonna pick on my good friend Jim Bates, but I went up there and he had uh the 48 skill Churchill that he's recently put together, you know, and he kind of handed it to me and said, you know, take a look at this, and you know, just really really not happy with it, and tell me what I can do better, you know, and I was looking at this piece and, and holding it and checking it out. And I just told him just honestly, honestly, Jim, this is, this is great. I think, you know, kind of the feedback that you're giving me, it is, is, it isn't this guy's model or it isn't that guy's model, but this is a really good model. And then the other thing is, I think that's how we learn is by putting, putting ourselves out there a little bit. I know I always learn from either making mistakes or, or, you know, learning by sort of on the job training, you know, so this is my first attempt at, you know, insert your technique, your chipping or whatever. And I know that the first time I do it, it isn't going to be as good as the 10th time I do it, you know, or the, or the 20th time I do it. Yeah. I think again, we're our own worst critics. So what we think doesn't look as good as, you know, whatever to somebody else, it might look like, an unattainable standard almost. It might look like any, you know, better than anything that they've done. I think if our goals are to, to share and to learn and to, to get better, I think all those things can be accomplished if we put ourselves out there a little bit. So that was a really good discussion on the, on JB's point of uh, leaving the world of social media behind. But there's something I want to lead on with, and that's a discussion of if not now, then when. And I've been thinking about this because I've, in my head, I've had the idea of a dream project of a full interior Panzer IV on a flat wagon on a rail car that's going over a bridge with water underneath it. So it's quite a big in-depth scene. And then I got thinking, well, if you're not going to tackle that now, then when are you? Because you'll always find an excuse to put it off. It's something I see on social media. It's like, oh, I'm not going to build my Tamiya 32nd scale Corsair. I'm not ready for that yet. I'll quickly work on this Earthic Spitfire. So, well, if you're not going to do it now, then when? And I just want to know your guys, uh, you guys' thoughts on that sort of thought process. I'll be the first one to try and do this. I, I'm like you. I've got an idea of something big I want to build. 1973 Yom Kippur War up on the Golan Heights. You always see the pictures of all those T-62s and T-55s that the Syrians tried to rush across the, the fields there. And there's a big ditch and they got the bridge layer part or the part of the bridge laying off the side. There's a T-62 in there and it's got on the side. It's got that really cool swirl paint job on it. And there's, I've always wanted to do something like that with four or five, you know, 135th scale tanks. And I've, I've collected them, you know, over the time and I got the, what I need for it, but it just sits there. I've got to find that motivation, you know, to do that. When? <laughs> God, I hope soon. You know, it's 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 one of those things where you, you you have this perfect image in your head too, and it kind of goes back to our last conversation about you know you see these these guys building stuff and you're trying to figure it out and trying to be you know, want to do it the best way because this is a big thing. You know, I, I've got to f- 
uh, and I'm going to call out TJ on this because TJ builds fast and he builds quick and he does it right. And I, I got to get to that. I really admire TJ's work a lot. He does some fantastic things. And it, it his, to me though, his biggest thing I admire the most about him is his work ethic on it. Uh, how he, you know, sees a project, jumps on it, gets it done. He goes on. And that's what I need to get to. That's how I'm going to get to that when part of the, your question is, you know, when I get that, I've got to get that mentality down of doing that. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I have a problem when I start building, I start looking at pictures of stuff and I start saying, okay, well, I need to do this to this tank. I need to do this to this over here. I need to do this over here. And then I get completely lost. I, I just, I dig myself such a deep hole that I just, I, I don't, I fall, I, I, I can't get out. So I think, I, oh, I've got to put this Edwards set on here and I've got to put this barrel on here and he's got to have these kind of tracks and this. It, 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 that's a problem I have with all my builds. I, I, I overthink it, I guess is the better, best way to say it. And, you know, until I work on that more personally, I, it's, it's going to be a when. That's my idea. You know, that's what, that's what I want to do and jumping on a build and, you know, you don't need metal barrels for all your tanks because most of them are slide molded anyway nowadays. So, you know, they're perfect as they, when they come out of the box, you know, there's things that you don't, you just don't need. A good point of this is the, I don't know about you, Scott, I know you're building the M10, but the tracks for the M10 are beautiful. They're tight. U.S. tanks had really tight tracks and you're hiding, you know, half of them are hit up underneath the tank anyway. Would I get different tracks for that? Me personally, unless I was going for like a very big metal somewhere, I would, put metal tracks on it, but I think they look good the way they are. That's what I, you know, that's how I feel about it. I think you've, I think we've identified a couple different things here. I think Ivan, to your original point, I'm guilty of having models in my stash Bandai perfect grade Falcon to me, a 32nd scale wonder aircraft kits, you know, where I'm intimidated and I don't want to start because I don't think I'm good enough. And I think that's something that needs to be overcome. But then we also kind of talked about maybe a project like Grant talked about scope, you know, like something that's larger or Ivan, you know, you, where you've got equipment on equipment on equipment. And so, and I think that goes to something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is I tend to get bogged down in things, overthink things like most of us do. And I think my idea is I want to start creating project plans and break these projects into little bite-sized pieces so that when I am working on my bench, instead of just sitting down and just getting completely overwhelmed and lost, I can say, no, 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 that's okay. I'll work on steps 24, 25, and 26 and actually, you know, make some forward momentum on that. And I really, I really think for me, um, I can't speak for anybody else. That's really, really important because, you know, my modeling time is scarce and um, I haven't been that productive. And I think if I do that, then I'm hoping the result will be more momentum. And the more momentum I have, hopefully maybe that builds on itself and I can get some of these large, you know, large projects that I do have in my stash and feel confident in putting them on there and bringing them across the finish line. Doug, what do you think about this? Well, I when it comes to intimidating kids, I'll start there because as far as expanding on the kits, it's even even uh, deeper for me. But uh, you mentioned the Perfect Grade Falcon. And so when I started mine, of course, I haven't worked on it in six months, but I started it. I actually just kind of said, I'm going to do this. 
and I sat down and I started cutting parts off that sprue. And, and that was, that was the motivator to get me, get me running. Uh, the, the kit isn't really intimidating. It's just, you just have to know you're going to be putting a ton of time in and on. It was like to be like the other night I was, I didn't want to work on anything. I was supposed, I mean, I've got these kits that I'm trying to get across the finish line for Nats. So what did I do? I just, I was going to just sit upstairs and watch, you know, reruns of community or something. And instead I just said, I'm going to get this little step done on that Skyhawk. And then I did three more steps after that because I went down and I started it. And I think with any kit, any project, if you just, just put yourself in the mindset and do it, you know, just like, just like entering in a contest, just do it. Yeah, you might have a, a bunch of kits that are intimidating. And you don't want to do any of them. Just pick one and do it. Just say, I'm going to do one of these and I'm going to see what I can do with it. I mean, Doug, that's that's awesome. I, I needed to hear that. But have any of you tried like doing a project plan, like break, you know, kind of formally like writing it out and breaking that up? Or, uh, you know, is that just something that maybe I'm wasting my time with? Never. That's usually kind of where my problems start. I'm, I'm kind of a textbook overthinker. Yeah, I don't overthink or plan enough into my hobby. I'll overthink uh, stuff like, oh no, what if the cereal I have in the morning isn't crunchy enough? But yet I won't plan ahead or give enough thought into what I should be doing in, in the hobby room. And that that's usually where my problems lie because then I spend too much time thinking and not enough time working uh, rather than just cracking on with stuff. Well, first of all, I would say put your milk in right before you eat your cereal. <laughs> so it's still crunchy. That's where I would start. Noted. I don't know if you would count it as a, you know, a project plan, but about four years ago when I was, I really wanted to get back into figure painting and I had been out for a long time. So I made a, a basically a bet with myself that for an entire year, 12 months, I would paint and base a figure a month. Didn't matter what scale, didn't matter what, and I wrote it down and I bought one out and bought 12 little bases, plants, whatever you want to call them. On the bottom of them, I wrote the month that the, and it had to be done. And I find my, I found myself this month, I'm going to, I would write down, I'm going to build this figure. It wasn't much of a plan, but that did help me. And I, I did succeed in that. And, and it was, it was very you know gratifying to do that. I have a weird habit and I picked it up a long time ago that I have a tendency to write stuff down a lot, but I, it, at the end of the day, if I've been modeling for a long time, I'll, I'll write down, oh, I did this, 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 and this today. I don't know why I do it, but I do it. I've got a little notebook sitting on the side of my desk. So I know if I can't finish something where I left off on a step. So if I weather this part, this is, this is the pain. It takes like five minutes and I, I weathered this. I did this. I did this. That's fascinating. You bring up the journaling aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, I have a really good friend, uh, Josh Buck. Um, Actually, he's one of our Patreon supporters. Hey, Josh. But we will get together um, usually every Tuesday night over at his place and do some modeling. And he journals everything. And he, he was showing me his journals. And that's great because he'll have projects like most of us tend to do that go go on for months or years. But he can pull out that journal and he can see I used AK Real Colors number 74 for the green. And and, and he has all that information. And, and he you know, so that when he comes back to it, he's not kind of tripping himself up. And that isn't kind of what I was intending, but I can see sort of the proactive side and then also the historical side. 
of writing things down and breaking things up into pieces. I, I think there yeah. might be great value in that for me. And maybe that's yeah. a, an approach to try. It, it is. I mean, and I, I do it with figures a lot because I have way too many different kinds of paints and I'll lose, you know, if I'm looking for a certain purple that I know turns out great or a certain green color mix, I like I'll write it down in the journal and say, or, it's just, yeah, I guess it's a journal. You know, I don't write down there. I like oceans views and stuff like that. But I, you know, I write down some other stuff. Uh, I, I, I do because I, I like Citadel paints and Citadel paints, you know, sometimes they can be very wonky if you don't get the right mix just right. So I, I found that if I write it down, you know, it's better for me. Not It's not a plan going forward, but that's what I do. One thing I can say about the project I've got in mind and why I've not done it yet, or the excuse for why I've not done it yet, it's because I'll always think, one, my scratch building isn't up to par yet because I need to scratch build the bridge and the landscape. So I'm going to think, well, not good enough at that yet, so I'll wait on better whilst not actually doing any more scratch building because I think I'm not good enough to do scratch building, so I make no progress whatsoever. And two is, yeah, but I need metal tracks for the Panzer. I need a metal barrel. Yeah, but then I don't have the right resin figures for it. And it's like an excuse is like, oh, yeah, but you need to buy all this stuff and you haven't got the money for it yet. So why don't you just wait until you've got the money and order that stuff? Ivan, you're, you're pretty fascinating to watch because I've noticed that you'll get a project and you'll give a start, you'll open the box and you'll crack on and then inevitably um, you'll stop and sometimes it'll stay there for weeks or months or whatever but then you'll you'll hit these surges and, and I mean you're you're almost TJ like <laughs> where you'll just I mean you'll just I mean incredible like that M114 is a, is a great example. I mean you'll just take something and bam I mean you just really really power through it and so yeah part of me wonders if your comment about overthinking maybe isn't that because when you when you're at it you're you're as productive as anybody i know i'll have these moments of absolute procrastination and then absolute determination to get a lot of work done and it's just in blips and it it's really frustrating because when i'm doing nothing all i think about is wanting to do said project and then when i'm doing it i'm loving it but it only comes in short bursts and it's really frustrating and yet for some reason i can't control that sat in front of the computer rather than turning to my left and doing some work and it's it's extremely tiresome you know another thing that doug doug mentioned and i've seen in some of his work is you using the power of sub assemblies like when he started on his perfect grade falcon he took a mandible is that what that's called doug i think yeah the the mandible assembly and he put that together on his b-wing he did his b-wing sort of in in sub assemblies and i think that's something i need to do more more often rather than you know just sort of looking at the project as a whole maybe if i'm doing a tank maybe focus on the turret or you know working in those small sub assemblies and then bringing those all together maybe at the end and using that style of a flow rather than just approaching the entire build you know straight off the instructions what do you guys think about that i think it's a great idea you know i always kind of save the tracks for last for me when i have length and length or length and length because it's the hardest thing for me uh, to keep them straight get everything lined up so I'll, I'll build the turret first or the chassis first and do what i have to do uh, and then jump into that last thing but i think the stage building is is a fantastic idea. it helps me i know that i use it whenever i can especially on on the star wars kits like the like the b-wing like especially the perfect grade falcons a great example of that especially the way those assemble it makes it really easy to to subassemble and then put it together paint it all get it all ready and then put it all together mm -hmm. um some some kits 
just it's just not going to work that way especially if you're going to have a lot of sanding and stuff that's going to be difficult but um if you can if you can do it in sub assemblies uh, that's to me especially when there's contrasting paint when there's when there's changes in panel lines and you can paint that separately and not have to mask off something mm-hmm. to make it work just just do it that way what about vignettes and and dioramas Ivan like in in your uh, your ambulance build I mean it seemed like the vehicle was pretty straightforward forward but what about the scenery and buildings and things like that is it kind of the same or is that a little bit different yeah that bit different like the the scene was absolutely not planned it isn't what i had in mind i looked at that ambulance i've tried to look for reference pictures of the actual ambulance during that period in french service and what i've seen is basically just a flat road with bits of rubble at either side or just completely leveled not forests but tree lines there's no trees left just stumps left and i thought they're they're cool but a bit boring then Night Shift released that video of how he built a barn. His first time scratch building a barn, and it's the most incredible piece you'll ever see. So I, I followed that. I didn't copy it. I just looked at the techniques he used and applied them to my own original piece. I said, yeah, that looks cool. Stuck in on the base. And I was like, ambulance can go next to that. That looked quite cool. Made a muddy road and voila, a base from absolute nowhere that took no planning. It was a complete spontaneous amalgamation of bits of foam yeah i just wonder uh, that's pretty interesting because you know when you're building a kit there's a little bit of built-in sequencing right you've got instructions and steps and you know things like that to kind of i guess keep you on track but when you're doing things and they're scratch built or there is no roadmap you're sort of you know using random inspiration then that's a whole different scenario where you know sometimes just getting the idea or the concept takes some time yeah, absolutely. For a long time, once the ambulance were done, I had absolutely no idea what it was going to do. Because it needed to be on a base, but I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And it just, it just one of those happy accidents that turned out really well, I think. Um, I'm trying to do it now, and I've been trying to do it for the past couple of weeks, and it's not working. I'm wondering if maybe a vignette is something that I ought to look at trying when this Nats is all over. Mm-hmm. The last time I tried any kind of a diorama was probably 1983. And I tried to, to simulate the ground. I took a little piece of plywood and I probably mixed like my mom's flour with water to try to make a muddy surface and, you know, stuck the tank in one spot and then moved it a couple inches. So you left track marks behind it. That's That would have been my attempt at a diorama. Obviously, there's a lot more information out there for me now that's easy to access. Maybe I ought to give that a try. They're so fun. They're so fun to do. Um, and they could take what is a very nice built model, completely transform it into it's like, whoa, there's a story. You can see a visual atmosphere or feeling or whatever, and it, it just brings the model to life. Especially if you, if you put a, f- uh, a little figure next to it, it really adds that sense of scale and humanness to what you've created. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's something that I, I know when I do dire or vignettes, I don't, I've never really built a big diorama or anything like that, but I've done vignettes. It's always, I always have this idea in my head and I said, I'm going to build this. And then it always ends up being 180 from that idea that I started out with. So I was going to, you know, I built a, a Jeep for nationals last year, a little vignette. I made the building front and everything like that and the Jeep and there were some guys standing out in front of it. It was the Ardennes in 19 or December 15th, the day before the, the Battle of the Bulge or the, you know, took off. And there were some officers standing out front and they're like looking down the road and there's like something's wrong basically. And, you know, and that, that started off as a Jeep in North Africa. It's <laughs> so, you know, you go, 
you get these little ideas that come and planted in your head and you just, it's so fun to me. It's, it's relaxing. That's why I like to convert vehicles as much as I do, because mm. I like the change. It, it's different. You scratch built a, a pickup truck on the back of a Kuba wagon because, you know, you, you saw a picture. So, you know, instead of building another Kuba wagon, you, you make a, a truck out of it in 1946 that was cleaning up the, all the rubble from uh, all the bombing. So, you know, something, stuff like that, that's keeps me going, you know, and some of the, the, the the stuff out there that you see is is phenomenal. The storytelling that the you know, and I I'm, I'm always going to fall back into you know figures, 28 millimeter and stuff like that. You've got fantastic builders out there that are doing some immaculate work that just beyond quality. If you see some of the videos from uh, World Model Expo right now, you'll see some fantastic figures, and it, you know that's you know where I want to get, but. I'm where I'm at right now, so I'm do what I do. Yeah, just going back to something you said there about you had one thing in mind and it completely changed. That three-ton ICM truck was not supposed to be in North Africa. Jamie, who works for Ammo, he said, oh, do that scheme, it looks cool. The, the scheme it's in is actually for Italy. The only reason it's not in an Italian setting, which I actually had in mind, which would have looked really cool, is I didn't have an Italian-German officer or any Italian figures. So it was like, well, I've got African ones and it could pass for Africa. So we just went with that. It's weird how these little detours happen and they can work out for the best. You mentioned the uh, the changing as you start. You, you turn 180 on what you're doing, what your plan was. Do you ever have that happen? I mean, you're sitting at your, your bench and you're working on something, maybe you're painting something and you want to do a certain thing. And I don't know if it's inspiration or what, but you just say, you know what, I'm going to paint this this way. I'm just going to, I just, I just suddenly, I just grab a different paint and I go a different direction with the paint scheme or something. And a lot of times it comes out with a very, very good uh, result. Oh, I do. Uh, I don't know about the others, but you're, you're Doug, you're a hundred percent right. I've been sitting sitting at tables, working on something and said, you know, what about this? And just say, excuse my language, but screw it and change up, you know, just go 180. And you're, and most of the time, Doug, you're right. It's a better, you know, it's better than what you thought it was going to be or better what you, you know, and you, you like, it's, it's, Sometimes you just have to listen to that inner voice. Not sometimes. You should always listen to your inner voice. And But it, it's going to lead you the right way because it's going to lead you to your skills that you know the best. I, I know a lot of modelers out there that they do that a lot. So. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've done this once, um, and I say wrong. Um, I was building the, the Trumpeter Furry Firefly, which is... Everyone says, oh, it doesn't, it's, it's not accurate to the shape of a fire. I don't care. It actually builds up really nice. It's a great kit and it goes together well. And I know our friend Jim has one to build. He's going to love that kit. It's fantastic. The scheme I did on it is supposed to be that dark green and slate gray we see for, for, for Navy aircraft and fleet air arms aircraft. And I think it's just such a hideous paint scheme. I think it's just because the colors are so murky and non-contrasting. And I get why it's Navy and fleet air arms, but I decided to, I was like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not painting it accurate at all so i went with the ocean gray and green because i think it's just gorgeous so it's completely inaccurately painted but i did it the way i wanted it and i absolutely loved it regardless of how many people told me i was wrong about it it's like yeah but i like how it looks and that's that's that you know that's uh, one of the reasons why i'm a science fiction modeler don't do enough of it really should do more but yeah it's uh sometimes that freedom to do you know like doug what you were saying and ivan what you're saying where you want to just change something and i did an x-wing a while ago and and uh, decided i just the world didn't need another red five and so did a sort of semi-canon scheme based on the rebels cartoon and and uh you know use some personal interpretation and mix my own colors and it's a lot of fun so it's really you know a lot of fun to do that sometimes 
So thanks for that, guys. That was a really interesting discussion, and it was something I wanted to talk to you all about for quite a while. But now I want to hear from all of you that are listening. We really want to hear about your if not now, then when sort of situation. So please post on the Plastic Posse Facebook group. Uh, we would absolutely love to hear what you think about the matter and how how you perceive the hobby. If the if I'm not going to do it now, then when am I? So we'd love to hear about your story. Right, so uh, I think we should talk about Nats since it is, as we speak, 17 days, 21 hours and 40 minutes away. So guys, Not that, you, not that anyone's <laughs> keeping track. No, just off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> so just a reminder to everyone who doesn't already know, it is on the 20th till the 23rd of July, 2022, uh, in La Vista, 12520 Westport Parkway, Nebraska. Just in case you needed the address, you, got, you are going to have to find it. Question I want to ask all of you, are you ready? God, no. <laughs> but i but i definitely will be i mean as you as you're traveling to meet up with uh, tj uh jim bates will be coming down from seattle and then doug and jim and i will be heading over to meet up with you guys uh up in the rocky mountains which i think is gonna blow your mind a little bit ivan but man we're you know we got friends from all over the country coming um and from australia and the uk uh grant we're gonna mission Denver but we'll uh, definitely see you in Omaha. So uh, we will be ready, but I am definitely not ready <laughs> as we as we speak. Uh, when we leave, I will be as ready as I'm going to be, but I probably won't be completely ready. I'll just I'll just go. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with Scott and Doug there. You know, I, I, JB mentioned in his last briefing that he wants to smell a lot of off-gassing of bottles in the room. And it, just come stand by my hotel room because it's going to be like off <laughs> Gassing Central because it's it's gonna be that kind of sounded bad. But uh <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be some interesting stuff and uh, just getting uh, I'm I'm more nervous about sitting at the table with you guys and talking to people as they come up and all that kind of stuff than I am about the show itself, to tell you the truth. And we've got, you know, we we put it out there today that where we got a great little location. We're right next to Ivan and you, uh, Ivan and JB and TJ with the ammo stuff. And we've got value gear right there. And we've got, you know, we got everybody right there. We have Edward right across the of the aisle Lethal. from me. Yes, that's going to be bad. And Steve <laughs> Baker. Mr. Steve Baker have already said that, you know, if he gets to us, it's going to be, he's going to be poor because he's gone through the Edward <laughs> station. What's bad for me is right down the, the same aisle we're on, I think, or one aisle up is uh basis from Bill. That guy does some great stuff too. And I'm going to, and there's, you know, there's a, there's a, I can't remember the name of the, the individual, but there's a reference section right there too. And I'm, oh, I'm just going to be poor. <laughs> I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm going to, you know, just buy some spam. And a whole bunch of ramen noodles before I go and then just leave it, sit it here. So I come home, my wife can yell at me, but I'll have like 90 books and, uh, you know, Edward kits for stuff I don't have yet. I'll have a thousand bags from, you know, value gear. So I'll be happy. <laughs> Poor Ivan, before he even hits what will be the largest model, model shop in the United States for three or four days. I mean, you should see the stack of stuff I'm bringing for him. And, uh, <laughs> I know, I, I mean, you know, I, I've got, I think a half a dozen kits or something and, you know, let alone all of the, uh, the food items and, you know, and JB hasn't even hit him into one truck stop yet. So, nope. I mean, Ivan's, <laughs> Ivan's going to need an ocean going crate, you know, a, a trunk or something to, you know, ship back on an ocean freighter by the time he's done. It'll be worth it. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I was on the phone with uh, the owner of Tankcraft the other oh. night, kind of kind of talking, and and he, uh, Ivan, he's very cognizant that uh, your bench needs a new Tankcraft mat. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm, we're I'm gonna, glad he thinks that because yeah, I think I do we'll need get, one. You, get you taken <laughs> care of. No, it's going to be great. Like you said, Grant, we're in an awesome corner. You know, some of the guys, uh, you guys will be doing the you know the MIG ammo demonstrations. Um, we'll have plastic posse swag. We'll have tank craft stuff on display we will be giving things away grant is a very handsome man he'll be happy to sign <laughs> autographs um tj does charge just so that everybody knows i mean he he has an agent so um but you know i think the rest the rest of us are you know i think we're free oh we also have business cards now people so don't be too you know we're, we're like professional Oh, yeah. So, you know, oh, geez. Yeah. So, watch out now. We have business cards, we have keychains, we have stickers, we have everything that a grown or juvenile or both of those together, model will need. Mostly so. juvenile. <laughs> Mostly Unfo- juvenile. Unfortunately, JB's had a certain other sticker printed. Yes. <laughs> that I do not wish to see. <laughs> which I imagine I'm going to see <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> the thing is, that's just what he showed me. I'm terrified about the stuff he hasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will guarantee you, Ivan, that there, like JB said, there will be a care package waiting for you on your bed when you get to Colorado. And I want pictures. Uh, I, I need pictures because I, I I could not find a white crayon costume for you. But there, trust me, I'm, I'm dealing with the same thing. Every time we post something, everybody asks me when when's my Beerberry tank gonna come out. So don't worry about it. it. It's it's weird. First first trip to the US. It's it's weird how calm I am about it because obviously I've never met any of you and the six thousand other people who are going to be turning up at John's house, <laughs> and yet. Something like that would absolutely terrify me. And yeah, I just can't wait. I'm like, I, I, I wish I actually had a fl- the flights a few days earlier, but it's, I've, I'm buzzing. Um, I can't wait. Well, we've got a, as we've heard, you know, we've got a great, great schedule for you. You're going to be exhausted, but it's it's going to be worth it. You'll make enough memories to last for a really, really long time. And then, this and then, if, Texas. yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, if, uh, if JB hazes you too bad, uh, you get a chance to turn the tables on him in the fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if there's one place you don't want to look stupid, it's scale model world. So I'm going to have to do some planning. (laughs) Well, I'm actually interested to see your guys' demos. Uh, That's going to be fun. That's going to be really interesting. And your guys' talk, too, your your brief. Yeah. That's going to be fun. And, you know, that's that's what I go for is to see that stuff, you know. And it's going to be interesting to see your take on the modeling. You know, that's going to be interesting to me. So I can't wait. That's a good point. And hanging out with the other podcasters, you know, uh, mm-hmm. our friends from Australia are going to be there, which yeah. is really, really great. And, you know, the Mojo guys and yeah. the geeks and, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it'll, it'll be nonstop. I mean, Vegas was literally a whirlwind. You can hit the ground running and the next thing you know, it's over. You're just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's going to be neat to meet all the people again, people that talk to online for so long mm-hmm. and not never seen, you know, you know and meet them and say hi and just be able to say put that you know the recognition face to the name kind of thing and i i can't wait to see what what shows up on the tables mm. you know what what does the national you know what does the nationals bring us this year you know what's got, what crazy fantastic massive 
tiny, you know, thing is going to be there. You know, there was an M, there was a, I mean, there was Babel Young from my part of the woods out here brought his, you know, his, his hammerhead to Nats last year. And it was phenomenal. There was, I, I don't know what scale that one ship was in, but it was a destroyer class that was just took up a whole table by itself. It was massive and it was beautiful, you know, and there was some 172nd scale aircraft that were just to die for. And the cars, oh, some of the cars there were just the paint jobs. You could like, it looked like butter. You could like put your finger in it and just like go right through it. So that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That, that hover, that hover Camaro last year in Vegas that the guy had built. I mean, you know, just John Everett's uh, dinosaur that he, I mean, he just, he can go on and on and on, but it's going to be amazing. And uh, Ivan, you'll love every second of it. I just hope nobody takes offense when they come and say hi to me and I don't recognize them right away because look, I met so many people last year and if I don't remember your face, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But uh yeah, Grant, please. did you get did you get that roll of stickers that said hi, my name is Doug yet? Yes, yeah, I got them. Okay. And, and Doug right. spelled backwards. So okay. they were good. <laughs> yeah, p- please introduce yourself. Yeah. This is a thing I've had at Scale Model World. Tons of people coming up to me having the conversation for about twenty minutes and it's like, right, see ya. And I'm like, I have no idea who that was. <laughs> and it's it's not for being rude's sake, it's just faces on the internet it, it just it, it helps and another thing it's going to be nice to have this nats i know you had the last one unmasked mm-hmm. and with hopefully the fullest attendance it's another one in vegas obviously a lot of people may not have attended because it was still a bit covidy but it's, it's <laughs> is that a word yeah Okay. I'm, I'm, the Czechoslovakian judge just uh, gave me the, thumb, the thumbs up and said, "Yep, he's good." Covidy, okay. The Covidy. Um, yeah. I'm gonna find that in the Oxford Dictionary. <laughs> It's, it's just going to be a whale of a time. And JB yeah. sent me a, an album from the last Omaha, and it just looks like an absolute super yeah. venue. All right, guys. Well, I think that's about all for episode 49. Thanks for uh, listening to the four of us. We missed uh, TJ and JB, but hopefully they'll be back soon. Programming note, uh, we will be skipping episode 50 as there's just no way we're all getting ready for Nat. Some of us are going to be obviously traveling. Plan on doing some kind of a live stream and uh, we'll we'll put details on that on the Facebook page. And then during Nats, we'll be doing live streams throughout. So keep your eye on our social media outlets, our Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. Uh, remember, please stop by our table. We'll be in the vendor room. Say hi. And you're going to want to stop and see JB, Ivan, and TJ doing their demos. Just, you know, come say, come say hi. It's going to be great. The same thing in the contest room. If you run into us, uh, the group build, we're hoping to just kind of uh, grab all the tables and fill them up with Sherman's grants and Lee's. So we'll be doing that. Thanks again for joining us. Remember to send us your feedback, suggestions, and any corrections to Ivan's English to our email, which is of course plastic posse podcast at gmail.com. Remember anybody that's traveling to Nats, saddle up and travel carefully. And remember, spend some time at your bench. Thanks for listening, y'all. Gotta say yeehaw. <laughs> He's not oh. doing it. It ain't happening. <laughs> We gonna mix it up. Environments <laughs> <laughs> three. We got critters in these parts. <laughs> <laughs>
Ian asked me to send him a voice note so he could show it his wife, and I did. <laughs> so if anyone would like an accent request, I'm available to send me a message. I'll send you a voice note. It costs nothing but my dignity. <laughs> I'll tell, I I'll tell you, when, you, when you're walking around Omaha in that crayon costume... And- <laughs> I mean, you're going to be, you're going to have, we'll just give you ibuprofen with every meal and then you'll, you'll be good. It take a lot not to get me in that costume. I've got some really, really good anti-anxiety pills that you can take. So don't worry about it. Slip some Xanax or something. You, you know, we got to look at schedules because Ivan, Ivan will be flying. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. It's finally I believe that's almost, only that's less than here. two weeks, Ivan. I know you're going yeah. to be in Virginia. Uh, yes, in eleven days. Wow. Oh man! Wow! Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not even worried about the flights so much anymore because Erlinger's flights. I've checked the status every day for two weeks. The latest ones left is twenty minutes. I'm yeah. not concerned. So, what do you tell people when they say, you know, this is your first trip to the states, right? And you say, where are you going? You're going to Omaha. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but in all fairness, a lot of people say, isn't that in France? I was like, no, you're <laughs> completely different. You know, um, you're going to feel pretty comfortable, I think, in Breckenridge. Yeah. I think you're going to say, you know, I, I think I'm all right here. Yeah. I'm leaving. Until you try and buy some water. <laughs> it's like $17, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but we can bring that in a cooler. So, yeah, that's yeah. good. <laughs> Let's talk gnats. God, that sounded flat. Jesus, I should act as Anakin Skywalker. Christ. <laughs> 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 the thing is, he's a great, he's a great actor, but Christ, he, he was told to play that role really flat, weren't he? You underestimate my power. Oh, I'm terrified. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then again, well, that's that's that could be said of most of the prequels. Just just underwhelming <laughs> direction. I I do love from the Obi Wan series the the Grand Inquisitor when he comes back. He says like, "Hello." Uh, my favorite line of the entire series. Shit. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> back to it 